0: It's my favorite part of every superhero movie. It's The Origin Story, and everybody has one. Welcome to Pinecone Turkey's The Origin Story podcast. I'm your host, Michael Henry Harris, and it's my privilege to interview superheroes from all walks of life to find out how they got from A to B, to see where they might be going next, and how we all can learn from their journey. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Origin Story Podcast. I am your host, Michael Henry Harris. Today's superhero is Sean Bruneau. Sean is a hairstylist at Van Michael's Salon in Atlanta, Georgia. And if not the premier salon, it's certainly one of them. Uh, He's been working there for 12 or 13 years. Started working there when he was 19 years old. Sean is also the drummer and co-founder of a heavy metal band named Cloak. And Cloak is on the rise. They've been featured in several hard rock magazines recently. They're assigned to the label Season of Mist. They're getting opportunities. And we talk about both of these subjects extensively. Uh, we talk about how Cloak got their record deal. Uh, Sean's musical influences. Uh, we talk about working his way up to the ranks of Van Michael. Uh, we talk about being an educator. We talk about uh, being in hair shows, cutting someone's hair in front of 3,000 people. Uh, we talk about why it's harder to find a floor to crash on in a big heavy metal show rather than a small one and a ton more. Uh, if you're into music at all, uh, I think you'll find this fascinating. Uh, if you're interested in uh, hair design and hair cutting and the salon business, I think you'll you'll really dig this as well. And in if you're interested in neither one of those, I think you'll find his story uh very relatable and very inspiring. Uh Sean is an incredibly hard worker. He is incredibly focused. Uh he knows what is important to him. Uh and then first of all it's his family. And we talk about that extensively as well. We talk about the great advice his mother gave him when he found out that him and his girlfriend were pregnant in their early twenties, and uh and how Uh, he and she dealt with that and, uh, we just get into a lot. Uh, Sean is just a, he's a good, good person, smart person, hardworking, and, um, it was just a super joy to talk to him. I really hope you guys enjoy the conversation. Uh, if you do, or if you've enjoyed any of the ones in the past, uh, please go to iTunes and leave us a review. That is incredibly helpful. So other people can help, uh, find the podcast. And if you have not signed up for the Flock email, please do that as well. You can go to pinecone turkey.com and just click on the Flock email and sign up. And that's two emails a month. One email will update you on the Pinecone Turkey podcasts, and there are three of them currently. And the other email per month will give you uh, some art, your monthly dose of art. It'll be a short film, a short piece of uh, fiction or narrative nonfiction, a poem, and some visual art. And all brought to your inbox to make your life a little bit better so thank you for joining uh during, joining us on this i think you'll enjoy it and without further ado here's sean sean Bruno, how you doing i'm great welcome to the podcast thank you dude thanks for being on yeah dude uh, we were talking, uh, before we started recording and I want to get it on tape. I decided what is the flower that is by your driveway that is so ridiculously beautiful and pointy looking? The celosia. The celosia. Yeah. And there's a, there's a dragon think it's dragon, I think it's it? like
1: dragon's breath or dragon's blood. Okay. No, it's dragon's breath because dragon's blood is incense. So it's dragon's breath. Okay. Yeah. It's badass. It's awesome. I really, yeah, really it's, really it's my favorite. That. And the black mamba, the black velvety petunia over there by the front door. Okay. Those did, are my favorite flowers. I did not see that, but I'll be getting pictures oh, of both. I mean, of why not? Mamba. Like a dragon's breath flower and a black mamba.
0: It goes kind of perfectly. They're sick. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Awesome. It, look, it reminds me of those flowers like in the Pacific Northwest and those t- like really tall trees that, um, that you just look at them and they look like it's like no humidity. It's really like beautiful weather. And yeah. That reminds me of that. and I love that.
1: Yeah, totally. They're easy. I mean, they're hard to find. But, um, once you get them, like by the garage, they just, they've taken off. Like we borrowed some from my mom's house and they just won't stop multiplying. Unless oh, so you like transplanted I, them? Yeah. I could like give you some. They, <laughs> they, they, they like won't stop growing up.
0: I might, uh, if I, I want I might take up on that. Yeah, I'll do it. dude. That'd be like my first gardening ever. Yeah. <laughs> which is embarrassing. Peggy will be impressed. She will be amazed <laughs> how fast I can kill them. Yeah. Um, so thanks for doing this. Yeah. Uh, if you're at dinner, and somebody meets you they don't know you strike a conversation you guys are hanging out and they say you know hey so what, what do you do uh how, how do you answer that question um
1: i would tell them that um i cut hair for a living and i'm musician by kind of passion and then
0: i'm really just a dad all right that's the number one priority. Yeah, I, yeah, I get, yeah, I get that. From none
1: me. of that really, none of that really means anything because I'm really just a dad,
0: right? You know, that's uh, that's kind of how I look at it too. But let's yeah. uh, let's talk let's, let's talk about the music for one. Tell me the name of your band again. Cloak. It's Cloak. And how would you describe the music to somebody who doesn't know Cloak?
1: Um, I would just say it is um, um, just like uh, gothic hard rock. You know, because there are lots of people in the metal community that like you know that's kind of the community that we're associated with because there is no such thing as really like true rock and roll music anymore. You know, Foo Fighters is everyone's idea of a rock band; they're really just a pop band.
0: And you mean it's because everything's niche or everything's
1: everything's pop music? Everything's pop music. Even even rock bands um, became pop in an effort to be more socially digestible for a modern plebeian teenage generation so
0: it is so the it's music it's like get, changing not us just getting accustomed to oh, wider definitely things or? yeah
1: yeah like think about it i mean are the black keys really that rock and roll you know i don't know It's okay you, you listen to better music it's okay so i would i would just tell someone that it's hard rock music because it's too um gratuitous to say you know that it borrows elements of black metal and and you
0: know gothic you know what is the definition of black metal black metal
1: uh i mean if you ask me you know like a lot of fans have different definitions of it okay um but i've been listening to black metal since i was like 13 i would just say that it is a darker kind of uh a darker and somewhat more extreme satanic uh channel of you know metal music
0: is it is, is it the is the lyrics that make it darker or the, the sound everything, is everything, everything the whole yeah the whole, like whole I mean plush. a lot of
1: a lot of um, black metal bands um, use kind of more dissonant sounding chords or like minor chords and they layer them to sound almost like cold okay. you know um, the, a lot of the vocals are shrieky like it's not you know Pantera where he sounds like a pissed off redneck it's more of like you know just this like sounds like his throat is coming out of his body you know okay um and then you know for a while people were using synths to give it a colder feel um but i i was just kind of drawn to it when i was a kid because i got into metal music you know at like 11 years old and i was always looking for a more extreme thing even when my dad showed me you know led zeppelin you know I, i'd heard you know like dire maker or something like that but then I heard, you know, babe, I'm going to leave you, you know? And I was like, wow, that's really like, that's much more extreme and dark and heavy, well, what, you know? Don't tell
0: me about babe, I'm going to leave you. Like who's that by?
1: What's it's that? actually a Joan Baez song, which is what's ironic about it being such a dark Led Zeppelin song. Is that it's a Joan Baez song. No way, that's hilarious. That is her kind of, you know, lamenting over having to leave this lover. But, you know, the way Zeppelin did it and didn't give her credit for it, Uh you know, it was just dark. But it was the same thing with listening to Eric Eric Clapton's Cream. You know, I could have listened to, you know, the Happy Songs, but I listened to White Room and Tales of Brave Ulysses and stuff like that. So then by the time I found, like, metal music, you know, it was Ozzy. That was, like, what did it for me. That was the Gateway drug. That was the
0: Gateway? Oh, yeah. And then it was about 11 when that kind of kind of yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then... By the time that I, you know, heard, like,
0: you know, <laughs> Emperor, it was just like, okay, there you go. Uh, when did you start playing music? Um, um, for, uh,
1: I'm trying to think up. It was right when my parents uh, split up. So, like, maybe uh, eight? Eight years old? Eight, yeah. Um. You know, I was obsessed with the Beatles. The Beatles have always been my favorite band of all time.
0: Who got you into the Beatles? I, my
1: just my household. Yeah, you know, my parents both. I mean, my dad remembers like it was yesterday. Being, you know, what what was he? Thirteen seeing the Beatles play on the Ed Sullivan show. Just what a mind blowing experience that is.
0: Was that change of life moment that everybody talks about how, how revolutionary it was. Yeah. If you talk to
1: anyone that did it, I mean, there's a reason why that band was so important. It's because there was nothing so sonically influential and prolific ever. I mean, you could say maybe Elvis, for sure, mm-hmm. but the Beatles were really the first. Like, oh
0: my god! My mom and I wore out that Sergeant Pepper's A track in our. Did you? Chrysler LeBaron. Baron. That's, that's a great. Uh, that's a great car to wear. It it, it was a great <laughs> car. It was a great car. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we did just boom, ba, boom, ba, boom, back and forth. You know, always. Oh, it's
1: the best. And it's funny because I didn't even get into Sergeant Pepper and that later stuff until way later. Yeah, Like, I was only black and white Beatles for probably the first two years I listened to them. I was just obsessed with, like, 62 to 65 or 66.
0: But yeah. well, we had, I think, I don't know if we made the greatest hits, or I'm sure they had a greatest hits, but we just something where we would just, again, repeat them like that. It wasn't just Sergeant Pepper's. It was, like, you know, all the kind of poppy stuff. Too. Yeah, uh, yeah. that That's cool. Did yeah, you,
1: uh, I, so I wanted to be like George and John. So my dad bought me this, you know, kind of, you know, uh, decent guitar That had an amplifier with uh, In the case I started playing that I became obsessed with that But I couldn't play anything And then Did you, you take know, lessons Or
0: were you just trying yeah. to learn it on your My own My
1: dad's a musician So like if I wanted okay. to learn a song He would just show me And then you know He would just kind of be like
0: Well Did you get that? <laughs> <laughs> it's like What was yeah. what, what is his primary instrument? Guitar Okay
1: Yeah Um, You know he came over for Father's Day yesterday and half the time he was just talking about you know my
0: upstairs is just in shambles I mean I've just been experimenting with different capacitors and different pots so you get different tones out of this new type this list Paul I got and so he's still he's still doing it yeah he's obsessed he's, Did he you know, uh, how did he pursue it as a career as well or was it he al- always
1: a hobby or He did but you know I mean he dropped out of high school in 68 to tour in a band so like when my dad oh, okay. That's you know like when right. my dad was doing it it was like You know, you kept the band's pitchers in the van so that when you got to the gig, you only drank beer out of your own pitcher and you just refilled your pitcher, you know? And you just kind of knew that you were going to be up until 5 a.m. doing copious amounts of drugs, drinking out of pitchers. And, you know, like, they would... They Back then, you could tour as a band playing mixtures of covers and originals, and they were kind of coming up around the same time as Aerosmith. So, like, and he's still pissed, I think, about that, you know? And so, like, he loves him, but of course he's pissed. But, you know, they would play Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, or, like, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, at, like, you know, this um, kind of spot in, you know, Burlington, Vermont. Okay. That was, like, the only place around for people to go and listen to rock music. And it was before popular culture had completely oversaturated the market. So, if you, you know... Let's say you liked Steppenwolf or something that was just, you know, whatever in your small town and you were 21 years old, you went to that place to listen to music. And so my dad and his buddies, they would do that stuff every week and then they would, you know, wash dishes in a steak restaurant. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, and then they'd you know go and be rockers for the weekend. And he did that until he met my mom because my mom was uh, his singer's roommate. My dad had gotten kicked out of where he lived and he was sleeping on their couch.
0: And that's how he met her mom? That's yeah, great.
1: Yeah, yeah. And he basically he had just, you know, he, he kind of fell for her, I'm guessing, out of her probably nursing him back to health after his gigs. Right. And I'm, I'm guessing, I, from what I understand, like he kind of made a choice between like, you know, the girls and the party and stuff that just inevitably came with the band or being like solely you know loyal to my mom and so he that's he quit and then he really quit he didn't do a band again for like just years and years so after they split up he just bought like guitars and guitars and amplifiers and you know went into it and then we all started playing instruments so he bought Evan and Adam their own drum sets. So, you know, I was nine playing guitar, but Evan had a drum set in his room at my mom's house and Adam had a drum set in his room. So Are
0: they older brothers?
1: Yeah. Not and they're both older. musicians. Evan's two years older than me and Adam's five years older than me. Okay. So, but, you know, then I'd, we'd be watching the Beatles anthology movie, which was what really did it the whole series. And Adam would be obsessively trying to learn the drum solo to Hello Goodbye, you know, like the, I remember it like it was yesterday and he'd learn it and he'd spend three hours learning it. and then you know he'd leave the room and then I would just sit down and I'd just be able to play it. Oh, that's like, awesome. you know, like, it, it sucks because you know I've, I've spent, <laughs> but I've spent so long trying to be an amazing guitar player. I mean, the first time I heard Randy Rhodes and play with Ozzy Osbourne, it was like because the Beatles I could relate to. Jimmy Page, he was a great guitar player, but I mean, my dad was like, "If you want to be a real guitar player, check this out." And he gave me a live cassette of of the Ozzy live Randy Rhodes record, which okay. was a tribute to him after he died. And I heard the opening feedback that that like slid down the neck into the song called "I Don't Know." He's you new, know, and it just blew my fucking mind. That's amazing. It blew my fucking mind, and so. I tried and I tried and I tried to be an amazing guitar player, and then I would just sit behind my brother's drum sets and just
0: and just came natural. Play. Yeah. What does what makes a good drummer like what like what what natural thing did you have that made it easy for you? I mean, I don't know the same okay. thing that makes you know, same thing that you
1: know makes anybody just good at anything that they just do. You no. know, I mean, you know, because in acting, right? There's people that have to go through training at. Very specific liberal arts colleges that are renowned for their acting, and then there's people that are just good.
0: So, how do you? So, the natural talent aside, so how do you get better at drumming? Then,
1: I don't honestly. I mean, I don't know because for most of my life, I haven't really been able to just sit down and practice all the time.
0: You know. Um, how often do you? How often do you practice?
1: Well, now I have a drum set set up in my basement. I finally, last year, ended finally for the first time in my life, got two drum sets so that I could have one at home and one in my space. But because I have, you know, a wife and kids, and as cool as they say they are with it, they're not really (laughs) that cool with it. I always
0: laugh every time I see, like, a parent, like, getting their kid a drum set. yeah. (laughs) They're like, like like, you're such an idiot, you know? It's awesome, but like, oh, I'm glad that's not mine. Yeah, you don't want to listen to that. (laughs) Nobody does. Even my parents were like, wait till we're out. Running. So was the uh, was the gift of the car the guitar c- coincidentally with the parents splitting up or is there something was that
1: no I think I think it was probably a fifty fifty it was like him being so just just beyond ecstatic that I was interested in it because both you know Adam and Evan were more interested in like drums and stuff and then also like them splitting you know so I think it was a way for him to because he was I think kind of self-medicating with getting back into music mm. you know he started buying like I remember one point in time having this kind of revelation of like you know we're living in this shitty rental house that my dad's running right now and you know he buys the worst groceries from like Walmart and stuff like that but like he's got like a Lou Les Paul custom and he's got a new Paul Reed Smith and all this <laughs> yeah. kind of stuff and I remember having that revelation you that, put revelation. that together like, oh I did second. at like nine years old he you gets know? his
0: great toy why did they split up?
1: Uh, I think just because they just didn't work, you yeah. know, that's another thing. It's like, kind of like, how do you become a good drummer? I think they just, they didn't work,
0: you know? And how did you deal with that as a nine year old? Uh, I mean, not well, you know, cause they, did you blame yourself? No. A lot of, a lot of kids do that. I, no, I, I hear.
1: No, I think, um, I think maybe Adam did a little bit, the oldest one. Uh, Because he had he had a lot of health issues. He had um, basically like um, an incomplete heart, like he was missing a chamber or something like that. So he had multiple open heart surgeries, and I think as a result of that, um, you know, he required a lot of different care and attention. And my mom, being you know, she was the oldest of all of her siblings, and then her mom, you know. I, I love my grandma Pat, but she kind of checked out on them a little bit. Like she kind of, you know, was doing her thing a lot, you know? I mean, my mom told me my, my grandmother wouldn't go upstairs past dark. Even if her siblings were crying and needed diaper changes, she would not go upstairs.
0: Oh, well. okay.
1: So, you know, that generation of like be seen, and not heard as a kid, you know, they would just, you know, night, nighttime, I'm having my drink. I'm sitting down here listening to the radio. Right, I'm I'm done. Yeah. So I'm shift, done. shift is over. I'm done. Yeah. Which is why their generation are so fucking hard. They're just hard, you know, and why millennials and Generation Z kids are all wimps is because, like, you know, I mean, we were all coddled.
0: One of my favorite lines in any uh, song ever is, uh, we grew up hard and our children don't know what that means. Right. And I just think there's a lot of truth in that. Totally. Because, like, you know,
1: I understand understand that now that I'm a dad and I don't know that my siblings will ever understand that because they're not dads yet. But, like, my mom was a fixer. Right, she was a nurturer and a fixer. She was bred to be that, because of her environment. And my dad was obsessed with the idea of having things be okay, because his he was he was in the middle. He had two older sisters that were kind of nuts, and a little brother. His mom was a was super Finnish, and she was crazy as hell. Like I think <laughs> she was clinically crazy. Okay. you know he walked out one time and saw her just sitting in the kitchen, dead silence, cutting all of the dish towels into just rags and throwing them away. Okay, You know, like weird shit like that. Yeah. And then his dad had MS. Oh, God. And died when he was like a teenager. His mom died when he was a teenager and then his dad died about six years past that. Jeez. And then he started drinking and going to shows and stuff I mean, when he was still in high school. You right. know? So I think that he always wanted to have the perfect family and he would do whatever it took to have it, you know? He put himself through drafting school, and then he became a, a drafter, an engineer, an uh, architecture firm, became a structural designer, and then he would work, you know, he'd go to the gym at 5.30 in the morning to be in the best shape for his family, and then he'd be at the office until 6 o'clock, and he'd come home, and he'd do work on the house that he'd just finished building, and he'd mow the lawn, and, you know, and then my mom, I think, looked at it like maybe she fixed him to the point where he was starting to drive her away. Oh, wow. And... He was also an intense dad and he was doing the best way he knew how. And I don't fault him for any of the shit that maybe my brothers do or I used to. Right. But I think it just reached a fucking, it just reached a head where like they were sick of having to pull over on the interstate because they were screaming at each other and they couldn't stand, you know, letting the other person drive. So we had to like play a quiet game all the way home where we were going to get grounded for talking because,
0: you know, shit like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Where, Where are you living in this time? Where is this? This is... Lawrenceville Lawrenceville Okay yeah. you're, you're down here Yeah right. um, And they eventually Just completely split And got the divorce
1: Yeah She I mean I, She said she tried to leave When I was two And that that didn't work so then she stayed with him for five years, not being happy, which I can't imagine that.
0: No, that's so you're married and you have kids. Like, you, I can't imagine that either. I mean, can like, you go to sleep
1: with you and Peggy unhappy with each other? It sucks.
0: It completely
1: sucks. It's horrible, you yeah. know? And you almost have to like tap the middle of the night and just be like, yeah, I'm saying to myself, like, I should be sorry. But, babe, I'm really sorry. You
0: know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: So, they, you know, by the time they split when I was seven, it was horrible.
0: Who did you live dragged,
1: with? We, we all lived with, or actually, we all lived with my mom. And my dad moved out on his own, Um, started drinking really heavily to cope, started playing in bands again, you know, he would, you know, and, and do crazy shit like he would, you know, be out all night playing at a blues club and then he'd show up at 6 a.m. to pick us up because he thought that, you know, he forgot that it was 6 p.m. that he was supposed to pick us up. Oh, shit. You know? And he'd... You know, him and my mom would argue on drop-offs and he would walk away swearing at her and holding his middle fingers up in the air and, you know, he would tell us really hurtful shit about us. Like, I think, you know... He, it just, he was doing what he knew how, which was to defend his position in hopes that he could keep his kids. Okay. And I think it was the wrong way to deal with it. But again, he's human. It is what it is. It doesn't matter how much... We're all fucked up about it. If you're still fucked up about it 25 years later, then you know I'm sorry. You need to be a man and deal with it.
0: What uh do you think? Part of like the enjoyment of uh the hard rock music and angry music was a was a release for oh, all yeah, this anger in life, Is without
1: there... a doubt. Okay. You know, because when I when I started playing really in bands, you know, because we had middle school bands, you know, which I was always the chieftain of, just by default. And then once you know. We once I joined my first like proper like I got into hardcore music, which was different because it was still aggressive, but it kind of had a punk feel to it too. And then it was more ideologically rooted. So you know you had a lot of guys that were vegan, straight edge, atheist. They spoke out against homophobia, spoke out against racism, and all this other kind of stuff that I experienced from you know growing up in Decula, which was a strong Southern Baptist town, super whitewashed. So it annoyed me seeing homophobia around me. It annoyed me seeing racism portrayed around me. And then my dad, you know, had been an alcoholic for years. And so Straight Edge, which was no smoking, no drinking, no drugs, really appealed to me. I bet. So it was like I became heavily immersed in that scene as a byproduct, mainly of like my entire environment. And and then it was incredibly aggressive music. So it kind of, I guess, was maybe a cathartic release.
0: Is the uh, is the satanic worship in like a lot of hard rock bands? Is that show? Is that is that marketing? Is that the vibe? I once? think it's
1: twenty five seventy five. Which way? Like twenty five seventy five. Like maybe, you know, I think a lot of, I think a lot of, uh, and and it's really the whole satanic thing is I would say much more of like a like a, a an extreme metal thing than it is like a, even a rock music or hard rock thing. Like there was never an, a thing in hardcore. Hardcore is almost kind of ignorantly. Atheist, right? Like denies any kind of claims on spirituality, right? Because I think it was a lot of people that were just pissed about growing up in church. Gotcha. So that was their, you know, it's their good,
0: yeah, natural rebellion.
1: Yeah. So, and I, I, when I got into any kind of spirituality, whether it was left hand or just spirituality, it was probably like seven years ago. You know, what is we left, had what is left hand like left hand, like, like right hand would be like a kind of Judeo Christian. Okay. You know, perspective. And then I a uh, left hand, I mean, anyone that's very uh one dimensionally Judeo Christian, which is fine. I'm not I'm not against that, would say like anything left is is satanic as evil.
0: Okay. You know, the but other, that
1: the other that is just a, you know, uh Judeo Christian, you know, right. outlook. That's all it is, you know, and, and really that whole outlook of like anything that is quote unquote adversarial or differs from the conventional paradigm being evil—that whole outlook comes from the church, and, and it's just, really.
0: I was just in Boston, and they uh, you got know, the Boston Common there, yeah. And uh, it's like, yeah, this is where you know the Puritans came over, you know, to uh, you know, to you know, for religious freedom. But it was, you know, it was for their religious freedom right. to practice their religion, and that's where they hung people who yeah. didn't agree with them.
1: Which is why you still like, see Catholic churches during you know during um, election season with signs all up and down the sidewalk that say, fight for your right to religious freedom, but at the same time, they'll have a giant sign of a baby's face that says, you know, this is a life, not a choice. Yeah. yeah. You know, so.
0: Yeah, almost, almost everybody's freedom of speech or freedom of religion, when you're defending it, <laughs> it is, easily involves like their own. <laughs>
1: yeah, their own, exactly, exactly. And I think I like the whole concept because I don't necessarily look at like the whole... You know, I almost kind of see, and a lot of metal bands that that maybe claim satanic uh, views really aren't. They really don't know anything about it. And if you read the whole Anton Levay Satanic Bible, you know, every every kid that tried to be rebellious stole that from Borders at some point in time. And that whole book is just nihilistic garbage. You know, it's all about just having like imagery and show to shock people. Because okay. really, if you read like you know uh, any kind of a left hand text from like you know uh Judaism, or you know like there's a whole kind of uh left side of the Kabbalah called the cliffoth, which I would say is probably the most like you know well uh versed i don 't know quasi satanic I guess you could say, but more so that it's just like more about walking your own path and you know not necessarily finding that like you have to you know. Uh, bow it down before one more figure but like you can kind of anoint yourself as almost kind of like a god like figure the king of your own kingdom basically and I I relate to that because I think that like you know in this life there are people that are strong and there are people that are weak and I'm okay with being strong and making myself stronger because I'm okay with conquering the environment that surrounds me that's
0: okay with me you know Then we have our headline yeah uh so when did you finally admit that okay drums is what it is and i'm gonna put away the guitar or concentrate more on drums and uh, was there a moment you were just like all right fuck this i'm, I'm going with drums
1: yeah uh, when i was like probably 15 because i was in a band um called uh, it's I was
0: about to say, bring me some of your band <laughs> names
1: So this, this middle school band I was in It was my first band that I drummed in It was called Evil Spatula
0: Outstanding that
1: incredible? That's great uh, We got the name from uh, making a prank phone call As a band, we made a prank phone call to a Waffle House And made a formal complaint About uh, how he would spotted the, the the line cook doing a lewd acts with the spatula he used to stir the eggs in the back room <laughs> you know and so, it was just so stupid it was like so like 13 year old boys spending the night together
0: well that's great yeah um,
1: my mom actually heard that phone call because she tried to get on the internet and the dial up was pulling the phone call through the speakers uh, right.
0: <laughs>
1: and my singer's my singer's dad was a pastor oh, <laughs> so of course he was she was like Herbert I'm gonna tell your father
0: you know? <laughs> we all, uh, did you like, did you like, I started taking it seriously? Were you well, even, like, so, did you think, you that,
1: know? that was the first band that was an intro into like punk or hardcore music because I like punk and hardcore music but I was, you know, we played in a metal band and the guys in my school, they didn't really know what that stuff was. I kind of discovered it from going to see a band in the city and then I got a flyer for a show and I started going to these other, like I discovered that not to take credit for it but like, then I kind of told them all like there's this thing it's right. called hardcore. It's not like, pop-punk like newfound glory and it's not metal like slipknot it's somewhere in the middle and it's so cool and these guys they like don't wear all black with long hair they like kind of you know do this and they do this and they skateboard and they're in straight edge and so I kind of made it happen and and then we started playing shows and we played a show with some older bands and um um they uh saw us play and then they asked me if I wanted to you know, this guy asked me if I wanted to play in his band, and I joined this other band called Between You and Me, and it was like a kind of poppy punk band. And we only played like one show together. And then another band saw me play, and then they were like, "Dude, you're you're better than that band." And so they brought me on. And literally, that's what happened. Like, I just was in a band that was a little a little bit better, but still small time. And then a group of older guys would see me. So that by the time I was 15 and actually doing it like consciously instead of playing guitar, I was playing. You know, I would, I was playing with these guys that were probably like 20, you know. They would pick me up. They, my mom didn't want me to be in a band. I was about
0: to say, is she freaking out at this yeah, point? she didn't want she's... me to be in a band.
1: So my dad, I'd get a ride to either my dad's or to the mall. And then I would, from a payphone, call one of the guys in my band and they'd drive from Atlanta to come pick me up. And then we'd play shows in like the fucking hood. And then I'd probably like, We'd maybe hang out at like Camilla's, which was this old vegetarian place, or we'd hang out at Tortilla's or with something like that and then we'd go back to their apartment and everyone would sleep on the floor and then the next morning i would beg someone to like (laughs) take me home take me back to the mall because i'm gonna (laughs) get fucking grounded like y'all are grown-ups you know like i'm gonna get grounded (laughs) what was that like man i can imagine being
0: 15 years old and hanging around 20 year old? much less you know Yeah, all my friends lived in the parking
1: lot of spark elementary (laughs) you know like because there were apartments down there and it was cool because Decula was super uh, ignorant, you know. So yeah. it was really uh, exciting being around people that were all like-minded and that were all equally as rebellious, and they all were. Did they take at
0: care it. of you, of or no? Or like, were they? No, just, they, they didn't, maybe
1: they didn't fuck you up. No, they didn't fuck me up. They were all we were all straight edge, uh, so there were no drugs or alcohol or any kind of destructive substances like that. I wouldn't say that they they didn't take care of me. They just kind of make sure that nothing happened to me. Okay. I guess you could say like you know and it wasn't that we didn't do bad stuff I mean you know they definitely like shoplifted all the time they definitely like they're you know punk kids so, like, punks, yeah. they'd break into you know they'd break into like a locked pool of a private community and go swimming and when someone came outside we'd all hop the fence and run away And so it's not right. to say that we didn't honestly commit like small crimes and stuff like that but you know I remember one time we had a, we had a show in a house it was a, it was a house that was for sale and it was in um, Kirkwood, and we leached we leached power from a, di- a different house into it. How? Fucking had a show in a bedroom. <laughs> 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 On
0: for sale. That is great. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was cool. So tell me, because you and you toured in, yeah. high, in high school, like yeah. like overseas, right? Yeah. Um, How did that come about? Like, so I was in a band, band called I was in a band called Black Paper Diary that
1: actually Black became Paper Diary Black Paper Diary I like and I joined name. that and it was like. You know, definitely kind of when emotional hardcore music was becoming more popular. Because when I got into hardcore, it was all like much more punk based, and it was all. Can so you give me a
0: name of a band this hardcore that I would possibly recognize or uh, my listeners? Earth know. Earth Crisis
1: was okay. like the band when I got into hardcore. Earth okay. Crisis and Bane. Okay. B a n e, and these bands like Earth Crisis were really almost sounds like slow, like like much more slowed down Metallica but Bane almost kind of sounds definitely more like punk influenced, but they're both saying about like, you know, how you have, yeah, I respect this scene that kind of brought me up when a time in my life and I was lost and I respect my family in this scene. That's kind of become my new family when I don't relate to the people where I'm from anymore. And, but then earth Christ was, was also like super
0: vegan, you know, um, is <laughs> blowing I mean, my dude, mind. Fire way, I had no idea that this was like a, a a thing dude a oh, firestorm is an anthem rock and roll vegan
1: an anthem to that sings against um oppressors of animals and the the chorus of the song over this like heavy chuggy breakdown it's like bone don't bone don't 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 bone don't a firestorm to purify. So it's like, yeah, dude, a firestorm to fucking kill all the people that are making <laughs> animals suffer? Like, Jesus Christ. Oh my God. That's... So it was like weird because I went from like guys that were singing about like Satan, my master, to, right. to like, you know, um, it was interesting. So, you know. That was popular, and then more emotional charged music became popular. And Black Paper Diary was a super popular band in Atlanta that asked me to join. Oh, cool. Like I went, I got, I, I quit a band called Vendetta, that was kind of popular, and I went to a Black Paper Diary show, and it was Black Paper Diary on the attack and Paid in Blood, and they were all older bands. They were all friends of mine, and Black Paper Diary's drummer didn't show up, which Tommy was infamous for not doing. So then they just they basically were just like, dude, I mean. I, Are you, do you want to like, do you you know the seven inch, right? I said, yeah, I know the demo. And they're like, well, do you want to play like, you know, Rockdale Don't Play with us? And I said, yeah, sure. So they, we played it and they were all smiling the whole time and they were like, that sounded better than it ever has. So, you know, we're just fuck Tommy. Like, we're just. So what
0: made it better? That's. I just think that I was just
1: a different drummer. You know, he was, you know, again, it's it's hard to tell. It's like, it's the same reason why, you know, Iron Butterfly was okay, but the drummer was just okay. You know, um, Jimi Hendrix was awesome because it wasn't just Jimi Hendrix, it was awesome. Mitch Mitchell was an amazing drummer, you know. Um, um, Like, uh, let me think who a band that were peers of The Who were. The Kinks. The Kinks were awesome. right but the Kings didn't have like amazing musicians okay. The who blew up huge because Keith moon was a fucking animal. Okay. And I just was more of an animal behind the drums. Okay. You know? So I joined black pepper diary and we immediately became more serious and we started playing shows all the time, recorded a new EP. We're putting it out on the line. It was doing really well on the internet, you know, and people in the city were telling me like, dude, you got to drop out of high school. Like everyone was telling me to drop out.
0: What what year are you in this year? He's a sophomore. It's junior. Junior.
1: Junior year. And then there was another band that had members of Blackbird Diary in it that had just started called Cartel, and they eventually became huge. They put out a record on like Atlantic Records. Oh wow! You know they toured the world. They actually had a show on MTV Two about them called Band in a Bubble, and it was a, a reality show about a a a a hot band writing a record together. Right? They were asking me to quit. School and join cartel. Oh wow! And um, I well, just so I didn't want to do anything because I I I did remember my, both of my parents telling me, you know, we have a thousand friends that have tried to do it and none of them have really done it, and the ones that have done it wish they had gone to school. So just don't drop out. Maybe go to school after college or after high school, whatever. Just don't, please don't drop out.
0: Well, and you and you were receptive to that. Yeah, I re, I,
1: that was one thing I was receptive to. So I didn't drop out. And, um, um, while I was still in Black Paper Diary, um, uh, I think by the time we had gone through a member change and we changed our name to Twilight of the Idols after the book. And, uh, so, cause the singer was an incredibly well-versed, he was like a, a basically like an atheist scholar. He was a brilliant guy that went to Lee University to become like a pastor or minister and oh, wow. while he was there, he became a staunch atheist and he was angry about it because they grew up in, in Conyers, which had a huge evangelistic church called Church in the Now. And so he came back from school pissed, pissed at God, and he just wrote these insanely atheistic lyrics and vegan lyrics and all that kind of stuff. So that was that band. And while I was in that band as a senior, Downpour, who is weird, like they were the first hardcore band in Atlanta that blew my mind. 'Cause they were singing all kinds of songs about political issues and social issues. And it was ironic too, because my middle school metal band was called Downpour and we received a cease and desist email from, oh, from did them. You like? They didn't realize they didn't remember that, but we did. That's and so funny. They changed a name to The Power and the Glory and put out a, a record on a big punk label called um Death Wish Records. And Deathwish wanted them to tour in Europe on it because they thought that that band and that album would do well in Europe. But their drummer was starting to grow up because he was like 33. And he, I think, was an architect. And he got married and had bought a house. He was growing up. And they were like, you know... Like you know, everyone called me Evil Sean. Cause, Evil Sean, because it, it started from that band Evil Spatula. Some my friend Thomas gave me that nickname, and and then it just changed, and eventually everyone thought I was I was Evil Sean because I was Mister like everyone was. I was a hardcore kid, but at the same time, like I liked dark stuff, and I liked to wear dark clothes, and you know, Evil Sean is a great nickname. I quit I quit being straight edge at 18, so I could smoke cloves and hit on goth girls and goth clubs <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: and stuff. And I was like, uh. Yeah, I did.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, as a matter of fact.
1: But they asked me to join, or they asked me to tour with them. So I asked my dad if that would be my graduation present, since I actually didn't drop out. Right. (laughs) And him and my mom split the airfare. So, um, I mean, I think uh, it was like I graduated May 25th. Yeah, so um, September 26th. I flew to Amsterdam with them and they were all older than me. All, they were old, hardcore dudes. What so they year were like 2005. Okay. So this is a height of bush, you know? So like <laughs> everywhere in Europe had a funny climate with Americans. Um, and um, But these guys were like, dude, 31. I think the oldest member was 36, and I was literally like 18. So what was that like? I mean, that is so not fun. beyond the realm of me, even. It was not fun.
0: Uh, why not?
1: Because they were all assholes. They treated me like a baby. You know, um, in what way? You know, like, um, I mean, I just stopped being straight edge because I started to, you know, analyze like, straight edge is a healthy movement, but at the same time, it's it it perpetuates this unhealthy attitude amongst its its subscribers of like a, almost kind of a, a jock mentality against people that aren't straight edge, people that are maybe smoking us out of their show, like. I don't give a shit if you're smoking at my show, you know, cool, smoke, just don't do it right away, right around me. And hopefully you can listen to our message and maybe decide that maybe smoking isn't a good habit for you.
0: That come, where the desire to do that come from? Um, uh, um, yeah, like um, my mom's best friend was a hairdresser, Shelly. Okay.
1: Yeah. And she was kind of like a second mom growing up. Like I was best friends with her son, Luke. Adam was best friends with her son, Blake. And they were the first kids that we knew they were ever like they were just fucking cool like they were you know their basement was covered in posters, they had arcade machines down there that didn't work and you know they would watch like Critters and Lawnmower Man and movies (laughs) like that. They got into punk before any of us even knew what punk was. Okay. And you know when we were thirteen, I mean I was like spiking my hair and dyeing it like you know box red and wearing like wide leg pants and stuff, but Luke had to like shaved you know Shelley shaved the sides of his head and gave him a blue mohawk that they would Elmer's glue up and they would wear cool other jackets that they would paint on it cuz she was artistic and they became artistic like I just loved their family. Right. I thought I... they were cool and I thought it was cool that Shelley was this beautiful very kind of vibrant charismatic woman that you know she wasn't like my parents who went somewhere for work. She was happy as a pig and shit to put you know a red bandana on over her Marilyn Monroe hair and a B-52 shirt and some jeans and some docks and just go out into the garage where her husband built her a salon and color her friend's hair and cut it. Yeah. And I thought that was just awesome. And I went to work with her one time for like go with a parent to work day. I just hung out with her while she was in the salon all day. And I thought that was cool. And when I was f- about 15, I got into a band from... Um, Orange County called 18 Visions, and they were hairdressers too. Two of them were, and they, I thought it, they were like they called themselves um, hardcore kids playing heavy metal music in a rock and roll band. That was their thing, because <laughs> like they would play these really heavy songs, but at the same time, they'd all have like black like spiked kind of pompadour hybrids that had like huge white strips in them and huge red strips in them and they had like impaled mannequin heads all over the stage and it just had a really cool aesthetic and I just thought man that's it like how I wasn't it was weird it was like I wasn't trying to be rock and roll but I thought how fucking rock and roll is that to like to be in a cool band and then get off tour and go home and cut hair like that's that just seems awesome. cool to me you know I love that. It just seemed cool. And I started working in a salon that my mom schmoozed uh, the owner into giving me a job when I was like 16 because he wanted to be f- friends with my stepdad who was a judge. Everyone wanted to schmooze my stepdad, you know.
0: Okay. So, and this is obviously it's in yeah. Atlanta still. Yeah.
1: Uh, so I got a job there when I was
0: 16. What, what, is, what, what do you do at 16 in a salon? I mean, what do you qualify to do much, right?
1: Sweeping, doing laundry. Yeah. You know, after about a year, I think they let me shampoo people. Yeah. Um, Stuff like that, you know, running and getting food for people, bitch work,
0: you know. When did you decide that you were gonna take it more seriously? And, and was it a um, was it was it a conscious decision to say I'm I'm gonna withdraw from the music a bit and do this, or was it just kind of like uh, simultaneously but not caus- causally? I thought I thought that doing hair was cool, and my friend
1: Cody, he went to Maxwell, which was a technical school in Gwinnett, to learn how to cut hair. Okay. So he was cutting hair in high school too. He cut the guy, he cut actually a couple guys in a band I was in's hair. And I thought that they, they looked cool. I thought it was really cool that he cut hair. He seemed cool. Again, it was all about cool. Yeah, of course. And um, so I started taking in my senior year of high school, I did Maxwell Tech for cosmetology. And that was like you go for either the first or second three periods of your day to school and then you take a bus to Maxwell, or you drive to Maxwell, which actually worked out of my benefit because I learned that if you attended one or the other, as long as you were present up out there, if, as long as we were present from fourth period on, you were counted present for the day. So it basically meant that whatever my first three periods were, I usually skipped.
0: Yeah, working the rules. Yeah,
1: I almost didn't graduate on time, but whatever. Um, but I did that in senior year and kind of learned just enough. And then basically, I don't know, I just... Got back from tour and just decided like you know what, I've already been in hair for a little, little while. I I I don't know if I want a tour. I don't know if that's for me, and I just started. I started a Veda in town. Right, like I, it was weird. Like I came back and I immediately, like, uh, I wasn't working in a salon at the time. I got fired, and um, naturally,
0: why did you get fired?
1: Stupid shit. Like I, yeah, I was, um. My mom wanted me to, she was hosting a benefit function at the Hudgens Art Center in Gwinnett. It was like a breast cancer benefit function. And she wanted me to, in a suit, escort these older women who were modeling clothing for like uh, department stores like Lord & Taylor and Nordstrom. She wanted me to escort them on and off stage because she thought I was, you know, strapping. And so she set up a fitting for a suit at Nordstrom, which was next to my salon and I told my salon director, like, hey, I got to get this fitting done. I got to go next door. He said, okay, just be back soon. And I was, <laughs> I was over there for like an hour and a half. And I came back. And he just met me at the front of the salon. He said, where have you been? I said, I, I, I told you, man. I was next door. He said, you didn't tell me it was going to be for half your shift. I said, I mean, sorry. He said, just go home. No shit. I, I said, I, I can finish full intelligence. He said, no, like fucking leave. And that was it. And that was the first time I'd ever been fired, and it really sucked. Dude, he, being was fired is awful. he was a dick. He was a dick. Sounds like it. Yeah, I could, I could cut circles around him all day long nowadays. <laughs> That's the funny thing. <laughs> kind of love that. Yeah, I love that. Um, but so I wasn't working. And yeah, as soon as I got back, I, I decided, you know, I, I don't care that I got fired and that I kind of got burned out from that. I'm going to start hair school. So my dad and I looked at apartments in town. I've got an apartment in Emmond Park with my friend Chris before it was, you know, we looked at a place in Fourth Ward. But, you know, as trendy as it is now. There was nothing, dad, not much there, right? Oh my dude, my dad was like, son, it's one thing to go to a show here. It's another thing to live here. This right. is not safe. Uh, and then we got a place in Inman Park. And then I immediately enrolled in school. Started in January. So literally between May when I graduated and January, like I went through all that, all those, you know, first relationship, you know, when I was basically living with her at the time. Tour, which was almost a month and a half getting my own place and then starting cosmetology school. That's so much change. It was a lot. It was a lot. It was definitely growing up quickly. Yeah, no kidding. So, and then, you know, as soon as I got the job, or as soon as I enrolled in school, Don Shaw, where I was working, had a location that just opened at Lennox. And I told him, I'm serious about it now. I'm not going to screw up anymore. And I'm going to go to Veda, so I'm going to guarantee y'all. When
0: you say go to Aveda, is that like the another institute. school? It was okay. a
1: hair institute. It was a bucket. I said, I'm... I'll be serious about it and I'll work here. I'll cut hair here. I'll be the best hairdresser you guys have. So they gave me the job back in the mall, of Georgia, and prepped me for working at the Lennox salon. So then I transferred me to Lennox and then I start started hair school. And then while I was in school, they started me in their continuing training, which Don Shaw was offering at the time for like assistants that wanted to cut hair. And it was a joke. It was basically an excuse for like the three education quote unquote directors of the company to just see who could cut the better haircut because they didn't really show us that much. And one guy wasn't that well trained. And one guy was, you know, one guy was, he was all right trained, but he wasn't good at explaining things. And another guy was really good, but he was maybe not the most amazing teacher. And then one guy was from Sassoon in Germany and he was just insane. Yeah. And he was the best haircutter ever. You know, he would cut the most perfect haircut ever with hair with shears that were like four inches long from butt to end. And um, but it just wasn't really enough for me. It wasn't structured. It didn't have the right feeling for me. Okay. And um, then, about halfway through hair school, and then they also offered me a job to be a manager for the receptionist, the front desk manager. Okay. Because they had lost their staff. And um, so they're all into you. And but it was just like it was more than anything. Like I just hadn't quit and I had drive. And um, the Lennox Salon was also is like a huge undertaking. It was two stories, all glass front. It had an escalator, like gone through so much money at that salon. And they wanted it to work, but it wasn't working that well. And um I could kind of see that because it had like probably 40 stations inside of it. And at any given time only about six of them were full. Oh it's gotta be depressing though. It, it was awful. Um <clears throat> so I met this woman that used to work for Van Michael in recruiting at a <clears throat> career fair. And um you know I talked to her and uh um uh, she kind of left a decent impression on me, but I'd seen some people from Van Michael come to my school before and I couldn't really relate to them. I felt that they were a little bit more show than I was into, you know, cause I was still at the time, like super into like the hardcore ethic, mm-hmm. you know, like I I didn't want to work somewhere that wouldn't let me wear Vans and, and you know, Vans in a Danzig shirt and, you know, uh, wouldn't let me get tattoos and all that kind of stuff. And I was super against that. And then this guy that I'm friends with now, he works in my salon. His name is Jason Gurley, but his salon name is O'Neill. He came to my salon, he did a demo and he was really personable. I could see he had some tattoos. He was wearing a a bunch of sick Dior Homme clothing, which I was really into Dior Homme at the time. That was like the only designer I was into at the time. And I was all the clothing that I wished I could afford. Super slim, like, tight-fitting slacks with Cuban heel boots that were, like, two-and-a-half inches stacked and French cuff dress shirts that were thin enough where you could see his tattoos to him. And I just,
0: God damn it, that guy looks cool. So cool. The guy looks cool. You I, know? Got,
1: I like the trim. Right. And he was, like, told us a story about how, like, at the time that he decided to go into hair, he was just working in a pizza restaurant, smoking weed, listening to Motley Crue and Guns N' Roses, and not doing a whole lot. And I was like, God, this guy is cool, <laughs> man. And I'm, like... So I liked him, and that made me get a job there. I, I had talked to him, and I said, your salon seems cool. I talked to Michelle Lovelace, but I'm just not sure. I don't want to do this. And he said, look, you know, you would work out well with us. I don't think that it's what you think it is, but I also want to tell you that if you think you're ever going to be able to make a living working in a salon that lets you listen to whatever you want to and look however you want to and show up whenever you want to and actually make a living, you're kidding yourself.
0: No, no shit. No good job. How much older was he than you? Or in, in, he's... In a- he's 11 years older than me. Okay. That's.
1: So no good job exists that gives you those parameters. Right.
0: Like that's the, that's the job in the movie. Yes. Uh, can we, let's, let's rewind real quick. I want to talk about like the school, like the Veda Institute in the <clears> school. <throat> mm-hmm. Like what's the first thing you learn? Uh, like what do you, like how do you teach somebody to do what you do? It feels Well, the first um, thing we learned is that a Veda is good. Okay, yeah, I bet you do. <laughs>
1: the second thing we learned is what's in all other products, so that we should go up to the retail area with our new special discount and buy a beta.
0: <laughs> so I've been
1: brainwashed into a beta since I was like, you know, nineteen. Oh uh, uh, gotcha. Like I literally didn't start buying other shit until two years ago. <laughs> um, <laughs> um but you know, they they taught us theory. So they taught us like cause it was a master cosmetology license you were getting trained for. So they taught us like bloodborne diseases and why you should uh value sanitation, you know. Okay. Um and then they taught us like hair types and hair textures and scalp types and Like you know, these are lectures at first? There was just theory lectures, yeah. We okay. had like a like the state board licensed cosmetology book that we were going through. So we do that for like one or two months. The first two months in the basement are just the most boring theory garbage ever. And then we had, you know, um, hair design for like the next month or two, which was like learning how to roll perms, you know, learning how to put in roller sets, all the old lady stuff that no one really does anymore Okay. that you had to pass on the state board exam. I gotcha. Um, which honestly, I'm glad that I know how to roll a roller set because our power went out with a storm two weeks ago. And my client was half wet, and she was a new client. And I had my assistant run and get Velcro rollers. And I rollered this woman's hair.
0: Outstanding.
1: sprayed it and let let her go home with all the rollers and clips in her hair and just said, just bring them back whenever. So I'm glad for that. That's right. Uh, But, you know, and then we didn't even start cutting hair until we were like four months into hair school. I mean, I'm not joking. It was like ridiculous. Uh, So then we had hair color first where they taught us basic techniques like how to apply a single
0: color how to do basic how does foils. that work like how does like i'm sure maybe the ladies in the audience don't yeah. understand perfectly but i have no friggin idea all i see is like um like real wrap yeah in people's hair and somehow the hair turns out a different color i know uh it's all
1: formulation right so hair color is a lot of theory <clears throat> and it's a lot of kind of chemistry so You know, um, the chemical compounds and hair color all kind of correspond together to have a different chemical reaction on hair. Because, of course, the body has a chemical makeup, right? Hair has a chemical makeup. And so it's like if you have this blue pigment and this green pigment in the hair, it's going to have this kind of ashy effect. It's going to pull out cooler, ashier tones out of hair and if you have a peroxide or something like that and that an active ingredient that can maybe lift the hair then you can take kind of more coppery or gold tones and with a blue violet pigment lift out the gold tones and have it just be like you know ashy or grayish tones that's crazy cool you know or yeah. you can you know take hair that's maybe really you know mousy you know uh, brunette and then deposit red-orange into it that's just a shade darker than their natural. And all of a sudden, it's this beautiful kind of, you know, um, autumn brunette color. So, it's that. And then there's the bleach aspect, which is people putting foils in hair and bleaching it out with like a kind of almost powder bleach. And, and how with, long y'all, are y'all learning this? This was only like a month. So there's so much information, you could barely process it all.
0: And how did you? So what were your like, like note-taking habits, study habits? Like How did you get this information?
1: I knew I just wanted to cut hair, unfortunately. And you are just like, come on. I mean, dude, or, in, or and, you're just, in, or in hair design, be I would actually bribe my instructors to accept crap work that I did if I helped do some of their duties that they were supposed to do around the school for them.
0: And because that worked? I, yeah. All oh, right.
1: yeah. Um, yeah, man. Um,
0: it worked. So what was the first thing you learned in school where you were like, oh, that's cool. Cutting hair. Okay. For sure.
1: You know, and then color was the same thing like I did enough to get by because I knew that they were going to put us on the floor as quote unquote stylists, student stylists. So I mean, literally by the time that they're booking you highlight, quote-unquote highlights, you know, lifting up highlights in people's hair. Yeah. You've maybe in school only done it three times. Oh, my goodness. I mean, it's scary. That is scary. I would be terrified if I were <laughs> a client. But cutting hair was when it really clicked because I didn't really get it right away. Definitely not, you know. It's weird to hold the scissors with your hand. It's weird to hold the hair with your hand. Like, you kind of want to almost, like, grip it like a like a basketball. But, you know, you have to grip it in a certain way. The combing is weird. Everything is very weird. The body positioning. I mean, it's such a almost kind of like, it's almost like ballet in a way, if that makes sense. You know, with the body positioning and how you hold your hands, how you hold your shoulders, the way that you stand can kind of help you direct the hair in a certain way. How you direct the hair is going to impact how short the hair that you previously cut is or how long it is. I mean, a lot of that stuff is, and then also how you open and close the blades can determine how clean and crisp your line is. That's stuff I just really related to. And then it was also geometry, which I thought was cool because geometry is, I mean, as much as, um, you know, mathematicians like to kind of romanticize and hyperbolize all the ins and outs of, you know, geometry, I think it doesn't have to be that complicated. That's my, that's my problem with math. It doesn't have to be that complicated. Right. It doesn't like, you know, I, I it's like a triangle shape or a round shape, or a square shape. And that's the beautiful part. And you can create an inverted bob that gives a woman more of an accentuated head shape in the back, but tapers down to her neckline by creating, you know, graduation, starting at an angle that is maybe 45 degrees, right? Between, basically, the direct bisection of a right angle. And so you can start off tapered, at the hairline, and then build this really nice shape that gets really full at the crown. And then by over-directing everything back to your previously cut section, it becomes a triangular shape. So if you check it, standing directly on the back of a haircut, you see that it almost kind of ends up having a triangle flow, even though from the side, it just looks like an angular bob. Hmm. But then if you check it from the back, it is basically you know just a flat plane that goes from 1 into infinity i mean that stuff is just so cool to me
0: so are you learning the like the theory behind like so what will look good on a certain person's face and body type? at the same time you're learning like are you learning like specific cuts like they were or te- named haircuts basic techniques basic like basic sectioning basic
1: layers you know how to do a men's haircut you know, and had a blow dry. They basically wanted you to know just enough to be able to do people without screwing their hair up on the floor. And then the so,
0: idea is that you get training on the job, or
1: yeah. While but you're, most people don't. That's the thing is most hairdressers that go out in the industry haven't had more training than that. They just say, "Oh, you went to a Veda? Wonderful. We'll just put you on the floor right away, well, charging you fifty dollars a haircut." How do you learn how to do like
0: some cool, crazy haircuts that people I see
1: people in salons doing, or whatever? Uh, right? You the- pay a lot of money to go to an advanced workshop that people from Van Michael teach or the people from Vidal Sassoon teach. But, and, and, I mean, Van Michael is different because Van Michael is, you know, uh, a very highly trained salon. Even our people that maybe aren't the most phenomenal haircutters are still trained significantly more proficiently than people that just work in, you know, the average salon out here. You know, is the
0: school full-time that you're going to? Is the yeah, it was
1: full-time. Or? So I was work, I would go to school at 8.30 and I would get out at 3.30 and I would go right from there to Lennox Mall to Don Shaw and then halfway through school I quit Don Shaw and joined Van Michael because I didn't want to be a manager. I wanted to cut hair. And Van Michael, for as difficult and big as the company is now to get into, it wasn't. Back then, I mean, literally, like I showed up for my interview. I didn't even know it was an interview. I showed up in jeans and a t-shirt, and heard people talking shit about how difficult their flight was at the corporate office. Like no, you know, professionalism at all. (laughs) You know, Uh, and they just basically told me, yeah, just come in and fill paperwork out. And I was like, don't you guys see my resume? And they were like, oh,
0: (laughs) no, 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 no." that'll be fine, Sean. So
1: now we have like (laughs) salon tours with like seven people that just graduated school that are hoping to even get in the door. You know, it's it's so
0: crazy. So let's talk let's talk about that. Let's talk about the growth of their of their business. Yeah. So how many locations did they have uh, like when you were it, starting out? When I was starting out, I think they just opened
1: uh their fourth location. They okay. just opened it.
0: And so what has made it take off? What is it so hard to get into now? Like how does how has that happened? Uh, what are they know. doing right? What are y'all doing right? Uh
1: I mean I think it's just because like um, the system of training is just so foolproof. It's just like it. Even if you're again, if you even if you're not, because not everybody is going to be, you know, on stage at the Aveda Congress Hair Show f- cutting hair for three thousand people. Um, but even the people that aren't are still way better than the people that are at random X, Y, and Z salons. Okay, you know, and it's because. You know, we don't just train you to be a good hair cutter and a proficient hair cutter. Um, We train you how to blow dry, like blow dry class is like three months nowadays where you have to go every Monday and spend like seven hours there blow drying and styling hair. You know, and it's like, I mean, my educator for blow dry was a dick. He made me spend an entire class holding my blow dryer and rotating it around in my hand so that I could actually know what it felt like to hold it properly. Cause I didn't hold it properly. And when I would drop it, he would just look over at me and he would say, uh uh-uh, uh-uh, Bruno, you're not going to get paid if you don't just get, get that blow dryer right back up. And nowadays someone would quit for that reason. And then the educator would get in trouble, but he made me spend four hours, hardcore. five hours holding a blow dryer and rotating. I kind of loved that. That was great. Yeah. I can blow dry some hair. You know, but, you know, and then we make, and then we train you on how to handle the service wheel, which is like how to greet someone properly, you know, uh, how to consult properly. We teach them all about like what face shapes work best with certain haircuts, you know, how to accentuate like, you know, like if your old lady's got, you know, a very, very, very um, round face, you probably want to give them more of a kind of, triangular bob type shape to, you know, uh, take less emphasis off of how round they are and put a little bit more emphasis on elongating in the jawline. And then you might give them layers that push to the side almost like side bangs so that it accentuates cheekbones that maybe aren't as pronounced, right? Uh, and you know if if they don't have a picture and you can't find the right picture, then you need to find a picture that works so that you guys are on the same page. Right. And then you know you learn more about scalp and neck and shoulder massages, and then you know so it's like and then there's a know, certain
0: philosophy behind like the customer service or the yeah I mean it's, it's, or it's what is
1: it I mean I think Van you know developed it from you know being raised a sweet southern boy in Cartersville that was always doing whatever it took to make people happy. And then the longer he was in the business, the more he saw what things worked and what things didn't. And then he started to model things after, like, high-end hotels when he would go stay there. You know, they'd go stay at the Four Seasons, or they'd go stay at the Waldorf Astoria, and they'd see how people behaved. And so they, him and one of his friends that worked at the corporate office, which at the time there wasn't a corporate office, they developed this these systems, right? And it was everything right down to, like, the way that you should, you know... Uh, escort someone you know out of your chair to either the changing room or the front desk and tell them how much you appreciate them coming to see you that day and ask them if there are any products that you can help them with because you'd love for them to be able to replicate what you did on their hair not because you're just trying to get them to buy stuff and so
0: they create this very specific ad- culture
1: advise them on you know booking out their next appointment because typically you book up this much and you want them you don't just they need to book it you're like I want you to be able to get in at the best time that you can get in and in order to do that it might work better for you to book out right things like that uh how to you know note very specifically what you did on the client's hair that day on an index card so that you never forget or duplicate something that didn't work Mm -hmm. you know so things like that and i think that you know you just do that a bunch of times and you're going to create people that are machines i mean you know
0: you don't have to think about any of this anymore do you
1: I mean, I have a client, I have a friend that I used to work with at Van Michael that um, opened up her own salon, and she keeps asking me to come work for her, and I don't want to because it would just be me working for somebody else, you know? Like, why would I quit working for somebody to go work for somebody? Um, But she wants me to come work for her because she knows that I can cut hair well, and because I'm a machine, I mean, I can cut 12 haircuts, 13 haircuts in a day without batting an eye. They'll all be clean all the clients will be rebooked. They'll all be, you know what I mean? Like, and not a lot of people do that. Most people can
0: cut five
1: or six heads in a whole day.
0: What was the, um, and and this could be also a present thing. Like what was the hardest thing either to learn like in school for you that you had the most trouble with or, or, or still now that you are like still working on when you're in your game?
1: Uh, That that your ego doesn't matter. So not really like a, 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 a
0: hands skill.
1: Okay. That your ego does not
0: matter. And how would the ego, how does the ego come into play with wanting to try something hard and cool, whether uh, it's right for the client or not? Or what do you mean by ego? You know? uh, two
1: things. I, I think because, like, and this comes in with being an artist or being a musician, right? It all, all of it. Um, because you're not amazing at anything. I mean, really, you're not perfect at anything ever. And so, as good as you think you are, you're not. You can always be better. And if you don't know how to do something very well, just keep doing it. Don't get pissed because you can't do it. Just keep doing it. And, you know, if you have built that kind of wall in front of yourself, um, especially in the salon behind the chair where you just you think that like a lot of people that come in from like trendier subculture crowds or counterculture crowds that come into the salon they typically bring an ego where they're like, you know, this whole like wearing like a professional dress code thing and like having to like smile and greet people with handshakes and say, I'm so happy to see you today and talk to them about their kids going to summer camps. Like, I'm not into that shit. Like, I just like doing cool hair and, you know, just doing my thing. And it's like, they don't give a shit about <laughs> who you are outside of the salon. Really and truly, eventually you build up a relationship with them and they do. You're like, you and I have been friends long enough. Like, we talked to each other about life. All right. But initially, they don't care if you have a boyfriend that bartends at the early. They don't give a shit about that. <laughs> if you think that like you know you having like gone backstage to a punk show once makes you cool, or if your tattoos that you keep getting like make you cooler than them, they don't care about that. Right. They don't. Uh, yeah. And so I think that it takes a while to realize that when you do think that that makes you above your clientele or your workmates. Or your you know, your peers that are like maybe a little bit more normal on paper than you. You know? That's right. okay.
0: Yeah. You know? What how long have you been in Van Michael?
1: This is my next in two weeks it'll be uh twelve years. Congratulations. Thank you.
0: How is the uh like is what's the turnover like over that period? Is it a lot? Is it, it's not is it not it's not restaurant a lot, right? Or no. Is it, okay no
1: uh, Honestly, because there are eight locations now, I don't even remember where half the people that I know work. I just don't see them. Yeah, I mean, there's people that I, I mean, there's people I see at our company meeting in January that we have every year. That I'm just like, oh, holy shit, man! Like, I forgot that I forgot that you work <laughs> oh, yeah. here So, You know, we used to go to MJQ together. I don't know. Um, what do you all do to the company meeting? they just educational. You know, they bring in everybody from motivational speakers to. You know, uh, life coaches that have people doing breath work in the crowd, to people that used to be creative directors for Vidal Sassoon International, you know, Um, or they'll have the in-house team, you know, do stuff. Because Van Michael has a, a a show team that does hair shows all over the world. I was on that team for a while. That was like one of the reasons I worked at Van Michael. I got the job there to be. Um, to do what O'Neill was doing, right? I wanted to be on the show team. I wanted to be an educator. That's why I got the job there. Tell
0: me about how you worked to get that, and then tell me what that was like. Uh, it sucked because it was trying def- to get it sucked. Yeah. Oh yeah, because you know,
1: um, again, it was the way things were before a different generation rolled around. That was much more kind of quick to complain about things being unfair and the treatment of things, the treatment of them being unfair. And so, you know, like, I I mean, to be on the show team, you know, if, if, if an event was happening like locally or if they were doing prep work for the company, I would, I wouldn't even care if they asked me, I would just show up and I would not get paid and I would be there all day long helping out.
0: All right. That takes a lot of balls. Yeah. Let's tell me about, did you ever think twice about that or just like, fuck it, I'm going, I didn't give a fuck. Yeah.
1: That was what I wanted to do, you know. I remember one time we had a company meeting there was in a big Aveda hair show in town. It was like it was like I forget what it was, but um Van Michael was the featured event at the after party that they were doing at either the Tabernacle or opera. I can't remember, but it was like all these Aveda hairdressers and all these big Aveda people were there, and Van Michael was doing us a twenty minute hair show as like the finale for the weekend, and then it was just partying right. And I was still in class, right? So I was still a student and I was still assisting my my mentor. And I just told them like, I have a cool idea for a model. And they were like, oh, okay, what is that? That doesn't mean anything to me. And I said, if I can get a model and bring her in and do this haircut and have my friend, Ashley, who goes by Sadie at the salon, I've known her since I was like 50. I was in a band with her boyfriend when I was 15. He used to pick me up. Um, I said, if, if Sadie can color her hair and we can make it look good, would you guys put it on stage? And they're like, yeah, man. I mean, that's pretty ambitious, but yeah, sure. And and we did it and it looked awesome. It was that's awesome. So cool. I mean, Van came over when I was cutting it and he was like, man, I got to tell you, there's a bunch of people cutting hair in this room and this is probably one of the strongest haircuts in the whole room.
0: And that's this is to feel great from a
1: guy that used to be on stage in front of like 10,000 people in Japan, you know? And um, she didn't show up. She freaked out about her hair because she said it was different than we had agreed on, which it wasn't. And on the way over to the hair show, I was waiting for her and she sent me all these crazy text messages and was like, you betrayed my trust and this is not what we agreed on. And I mean, this, this is horrible. Like, fuck you and all this kind of stuff. And I said, holy shit, if you don't show up, we will not change your hair to make it how you want it. We will not fix it. And she said, I don't care. I'm going to put box black on it right when I get home and screw you guys. So that was actually pretty, pretty uh, (laughs) deflating. Traumatic. It was deflating. It was really deflating. But that happened, and I just kind of kept moving on. How did you
0: recover from that? Or what did you you say?
1: They just said, well, we saw it. And that was all that really mattered. Okay. Was that they saw it. And then you know, they'd do a big hair show in Minneapolis. It was the big biannual Aveda hair show and I would buy my own plane ticket and I would just ask everybody once I got up there, whose floor can I sleep on? And I would sleep on a floor and I would wake up at 5 a.m. to help prep hair all day long and I would blow dry all day. I would flat iron. I would help undo pin curls. I would do whatever it took. I mean, I would do that all weekend and I did that, you know, if they would help me get into the show, I would do that and I did that two or three times as well as other local events. That's and then incredible. You know, eventually they said, Hey, we're doing, we're going to be the main, you know, stage act at our company meeting this year. And um, would you be interested in being one of the main guys on stage? And so I said, yeah, dude, I would love to. And it was broken up into like two events and, or two segments. So I was one of the three guys on the first segment and um and I, on stage cutting here in,
0: like, in front of in like, like a theater audience and
1: the Oglethorpe Theater okay so it's in front of the whole company on the bottom level and then all the Atlanta hair schools on the top level so it's a big audience oh wow and it's different than playing on stage in a band
0: it's tell me uh, I'm sure it is but tell me how
1: because you're not behind anything and because you're not getting a loss in it like band Band performances are almost like a shamanic experience, if that makes sense. Like, you just get lost in it. It really, I really relate it to kind of going back to having like a more spiritual, ideological outlook. Like, it really is magic, Mm. practical magic for sure, because it is one of the few remaining transformative art experiences that you can draw an audience in and for even a moment alter their perception of the world. And that's the whole purpose of magic is to alter someone else's perception of reality and draw them into what you want it to be yeah. for just a minute. So you get lost in that. And hair, I'm just standing there cutting.
0: Because you're describing it too, or are you just cutting? Or yeah. Like how does it work? You're cutting okay. a model. You're telling what you're doing. It's like, hey, dead doing silent.
1: That. There's no cool music playing. You know, it's like it's so typical for hairdressers to cut hair to shit like F- Fevery Corporation or Moby in the background. <laughs> and, you know, typical hair music and. <laughs> No, it's dead silent. I'm cutting. People are just watching me. And I gave this whole... It was funny because one of my friends, it was it was his first time too. He's pacing backstage. He's got note card after note card after note card after note card. And he's going over his lines. He's like, oh my God, I'm so nervous. I want to throw up. you know. And I just did it. I just did it. And when I got off stage, O'Neill's wife, Natalie, who's the color director for the whole company, and she's like the main colorist for the show team, she just came up to me and gave me a big hug. She was like, dude, that was awesome. You killed it.
0: That's so and, great.
1: You know, and somebody else said I killed it. And then the next day we went on a, a, a like a four or five day kind of trip to Melody's dad's house up in Virginia. And as soon as we get there, I got a phone call from Van personally. And I'm like, hey, what's up, boss? And he was like, you know, he's got the strong southern accent. He's like, man, let me tell you, man you fucking killed it up there. <laughs> and I was like, dude, thank you, boss. And he said, you know, the show team is all about earning your place on it. And he said, how do you feel about having a place on it? Like really having a place on it. And that is a big deal. Like to be on the Van Michael show team in like the hair world is a big deal. It was, and to get a an invitation from him. Right. Not just like the the second in command to him, who's just like, you know, I know you're interested in doing some work. Do you want to maybe come along with us one time? But like to have the boss say, dude, you, you have earned a seat at the table. How do you feel about it? That was awesome. That was a huge experience for me.
0: That had to be an amazing feeling.
1: Yeah, because I made it. And then at that time, they also had me. I'd already started shadowing to be an educator. So I think I just become a full time educator, which, you know, so I mean, I'd accomplished all these goals that I had for myself. You know, I joined Van Michael at 19. I said, if I'm going to quit playing music, if I'm not going to tour anymore, I'm only going to do it if I can f- destroy it, if I can just crush it the way I would crush a show. Die full in. Yeah. And by the time I was 25, I had become an educator. They actually asked me to be an educator when I was still in New Talents, the Protege Program, oh, wow. which doesn't happen. That was really cool. And that's not to gloat. It's just to tell anyone who wants to like, pursue something and doesn't think that they're in the right place it like you know nobody else gives a shit if you think that you're not in the right place yet it doesn't matter right
0: you may not think you can do it but somebody else might
1: yeah just do it yeah you know so I was still I mean I had I finished class my last testing model I finished class and I was still a new talent so it wasn't that significant and the director of education just patted me on the back and he was like "Well, enjoy six months off because you know, in February you're gonna start training. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, wow, and he said, That's what you want to do, right? And I said, Yep. Yeah, sure. So and then about a year later was when they asked me to, to join the show team. So I mean it's just
0: like it happened. So those were the, those were goals you had. What do you what are your goals now? I don't know. Are you still on <laughs> are you still on the education team? You still yeah, doing I still the, teach still doing I the guess, show stuff or no? No, I'm not doing the
1: show stuff it just became too complicated. I mean, I did, the last hair show I did was like a big four day show at like the big, the biggest American hair show in Chicago. And, um, you know, it's different. Cause when I joined the show team, when I started teaching, Melody and I were just, just dating. And then, you know, we got pregnant, we got married, we had Astrid, and then, um, right before we had Elsa, was when I joined the show team, and it's a different game, man. What, you know, because I I looked at the guys around me. I think my my place where I sit now professionally is I almost don't know, and it's okay. I'm okay with that because I knew everything in my twenties, and I'm about to be 32, and I I don't I don't know because like I accomplished everything. You right. know, I turned 30, and it was that that Saturn ascending moment where I was like. Man, everything's like, you know, your life, astrologically speaking, is cut into 30 year cycles. And it was like, I don't, man, like I haven't done everything. I
0: don't right. Know what do I want to do money. now?
1: Yeah. And I was looking at all the guys around me that were above me, I guess, you know? And, you know, there's, with all respect to them, divorces not having kids or maybe not seeing their kids married to their jobs. I just, I don't want to do that. You know, uh, how
0: did, uh, how did you and Melody meet? Um,
1: I was in Harry school. Uh, Voldemort had just dumped me. Which was crushing. I'm sure you remember your first root. Re- oh God! How yes. old were you when you had your heart broken for the first time?
0: I was a uh, f- like freshman year college like so, summer summer like you know 18 19. Eighteen nineteen. yeah yeah that's it's and there is nothing like it either you know and like I you know Hanks eleven and you know it's coming yeah it's coming and you know it's coming and it an will adult, crush you <laughs> it's going to destroy him and you know it and. I like just, I just, I like to think of like my mom and like other people's parents. Like, you know, it's not going to, like, you know that it's not going to work out long term between yeah. these two people. Yeah. Like they know that yeah. we do not know that. Yeah. And so it's just, yeah. It's tough. Yeah. I mean,
1: that was eighteen, nineteen. you know, she was who I was dating when I went on tour and, uh, we were together for almost 10 months. Uh, I moved in with her and she panicked. And a week to the day after I moved in with her, she broke up with me mm. and told me, I don't want to be with you. And I just, I can't, I can't even be with you. So I said, you know, I guess that means I'll move out. <clears throat> so I moved out. I was sleeping on my friend's couch and I ended up getting my own place um, in town and I was in at school and I was bad. I was, I was, you know, I was, I was still also like a very strict vegan at the time, and I was not sleeping well because I was just torn up over this because she of course was still tugging in the string oh, you course. know but she and she started partying really hard so she was rubbing in my face and she was partying really hard and she was she was sleeping with my best one of my best friends and you know ah. I was living miserable alone in the studio apartment in Midtown it just felt so alone um, yeah and um all the girls in my hair school me being like one of two hetero guys in the entire school were kind of feeling for me and rather than dipping the pen in the ink they were like you know always trying to set me up and this one girl I was in class with she said you know uh, I've got a friend named uh, melody Uh, we got together dancing Um, she's just I think she's really your type she's so much better than that girl you were with she's you know cute she loves punk music she has black hair pale skin green eyes, tattoos, and I was like, well, I mean, where? there it is. Sign me up. <laughs> yeah, there it is. Where am I? There it is. And, um, but she had a boyfriend. And, um, and I knew this because Carrie, I think, found out she had a boyfriend. And then that was back in the beginning of MySpace days. So then Carrie showed me her MySpace profile so she could show me what she looked like cuz she didn't have pictures on her phone. Right. Yeah. So then I saw what she looked like and I was just I was enamored. She was definitely the most beautiful girl I think I'd ever seen. It was like, you know, like not some movie star that right. you're completely detached from. A viable girl. Yeah. She was just gorgeous and she was cool too like she her and her friends took black and white fo- photographs of each other. You know, her theme song was, uh, you know, a T-Rex song one day. And it was, uh, <laughs> it was a Moody Blues song the other day. So I was like, this isn't just a, some dumb girl she's that likes dumb a day, music. Some... Like, She's into cool shit. Right. But she had a boyfriend. So I was constantly, like, I would ask Carrie or I would look at her profile and I would just see, like, is she still with that guy? Is she still with that guy? And finally, after I think eight or nine months of me, like, just doing my thing... Dating around, being bored with everybody, because I just, I don't know what you know. If you're, if you're, I don't know, intellectual whatsoever, and not in like an arrogant way, but just intellectual whatsoever, it's so hard to date somebody that is so not.
0: It just is. Well, yeah. I mean, you guys aren't would not be matched. Yeah,
1: you know, like I mean, it it sucks when you are, you know, into, you know, different, you know obscure books obscure films obscure movies you know you dig on talking about deep things like why you turn your back on religion and you know why you think that this you know stereotype that's reinforced socially sucks like when you're dating a girl that's like hot but she just really is stoked on like a girl's weekend you know and yeah, she just you're wants not, to tell you about a girl's weekend.
0: Yeah, you're not yeah, you're not matching up right. Yeah. And, and somebody's I somebody's gonna laugh at your jokes and get your references and, and have I, the same conversation I, you I, wanna
1: have. Actually, more importantly, I think I wanted someone who would tell me my jokes suck. <laughs> 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 and that was Melody. So when I heard that she was single, you know, I, I reached out to her. I basically emailed her and said, like, you know, maybe this is gonna be creepy, maybe you remember it, maybe you don't. But um, Carrie was gonna set us up on a blind date. You were committed, and I didn't want to overstep, but now I just, I, I want to tell you that I, I think you're beautiful and I would love to take you out for coffee. I don't know if people are still even open to that anymore because the dating scene was already starting to change. It was the beginning of social media and it was already starting to change.
0: Barely. I didn't date well in my era, but I think I would date even less well now.
1: I concur. I'm terrified. I mean, the guys in my band currently, you know, they're like 24, 25. I'm terrified for them. Uh, you know, because it's like you pair social media with heightened tension between the sexes due to like social unrest and, you know, the kind of quote unquote woke movement where everyone's trying to be a little bit more conscious, perhaps maybe overly conscious of certain things like I, guys I know are scared to even, you know, hit on girls at bars. <laughs> They're like, I just, I'm not an oppressor. Yeah. Um But yeah, it was the perfect storm, and she basically, she was like, wow, I mean, I kind of remember that, but that's really sweet, Um, maybe, but let's talk first, and we talked, and we found that we had a lot of, you know, kind of things in common over a conversation or two, and then she said, you know, well, I mean, I live in Gwinnett, and I said, that's perfect, I'm from Gwinnett, you know, Um, December 3rd is my dad's birthday, we're going to see a movie at um, Discover Mills, and she said, that's not far from where I live, and so, I said, "Well, let's meet up for coffee." And um, I went and saw a movie with my dad and brothers. And then um, she pulled up in the parking lot by where I was parked, rolled down her window, and immediately I was just like, "Oh God, yes!" (laughs) Yeah, you were done. Just so gorgeous, dude. And she was like, "Let's go to the Waffle House down the street." So our first date was at Waffle House.
0: Oh, that's a beautiful Atlanta romance story right there,
1: right? It is. And we spent—I mean, we spent probably five hours in there just tweaking out on coffee, taking smoke breaks pumping the jukebox full of music that pissed off what was her name cherry or candy i can't remember you know she was this girl that was working and she was like y'all are cute i, I don't believe that y'all are young i i think y'all got some serious history here i don't like, <laughs> y'all are married aren't you?" and we were like you know uh yeah we are but you know what i'd love to dance with you candy if, if you're open to that <laughs> you know it was fun so that was our first date and after dating, you know, we were together for six months and then we broke up because we had such great chemistry that we would break up at the first sign of a fight. And then we, you know, that time she dated a guy that I knew for like six or seven months.
0: Why do they always date people we know? I don't know, man.
1: Because Atlanta a small city. Every city is a small city. Well, you could be true. in Los yeah, Angeles and still have it be a small city. So she dated this guy I knew, and it just drove me nuts. And after not talking to her, because she kind of dumped me. like She misread some signals. Like I waited for her at a restaurant that she worked at. And I'm a hairdresser. I'm used to talking to people. And um, I was at the bar hanging out, and this girl came up and was asking me about my tattoos. And, and I was answering her questions, and Melody saw it, and after about an hour or two, I was waiting, and I said, hey, is anybody, does anybody know where Melody is? Oh, shut up. And they're like, oh, bro, she's gone, dude. Oh, I and I, no I, way. Yeah, and I said, what? And I called her, and she said, no, you seem pretty comfortable. Yeah, you look like you were happy. Yeah. I, 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 I just thought I'd go. And so I, I, that was it. I kind of hung up, and that was it. She kind of just, that was it. Like She, she broke up with me without even breaking up with me. Right. And We didn't talk for two months, and when I taught her, she was dating this guy, and and it just drove me nuts. And then she basically would, every now and then we'd talk and we'd check up on each other because we couldn't not think about each other. Right. And she'd complain to me about something that he did or him speaking to her a certain way. And, and I would say, Yeah, I wasn't such a dick after all, was I? <laughs> and then I think she went to Canada to meet his family because he wanted her to. Oh, shit. And that just killed it. That just killed it.
0: She hates Canadians? No. <laughs> yeah,
1: absolutely. You know, they're just, they're too too happy with their healthcare, uh but she uh yeah so and then we we met up in person and the chemistry was just there and she just decided i'm gonna break up with them and she broke up with them on the phone in front of me
0: oh wow that's kind of great it was heavy
1: <laughs> she expected me to, to ask her to be my girlfriend right then and there but it was too heavy i just had to go home and she was like i thought like what the fuck <laughs> you're like no nah, babe i got a date <laughs> yeah 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 i was just playing dude. um but so, yeah, and then we got back together again, and I think that time we were together for like nine months, and then we broke up again. I don't but know. But
0: you guys are young, yeah, right? Doing this. I she mean, was this like, sounds like
1: young. She behavior. was like she was nineteen when we started dating, and I think that by the time that we quit breaking up and finally like, it was twenty. Let me think here. Two thousand nine. Yeah. So she was twenty one. Um when we finally got back together again for the last time and it was awesome. Chemistry was better than it ever had been. Cause we'd broken up with each other for all the reasons you could break up with someone because of, and then, um, she, um, me think here we were together five months. She got pregnant and which again, I love talking to other parents as a hairdresser about it because the truth is, and I want everyone to hear this. Nobody means to have a baby nobody plans on it no every single person i've talked to they've been like yeah you know like other we were like just dating even even clients that are like epidemiologists at cdc we're
0: like, yeah, the first one was an accident. Oh, uh, I, yeah, I don't know. I think it depends I think it depends on age. Like it, well, it i will not of speak age. to myself.
1: Right. But you and Peggy also got married a little bit later, right? Yeah.
0: Well yeah. we just started dating each other until I don't know, twenty nine or thirty or twenty eight or something like that. Right. So it's different
1: because if you yeah. start dating each other after you've kind of moved through that that trajectory of wild early something yeah you know but i mean it's pretty interesting like a lot of clients i taught to that got married in their 20s it really and yeah, i being, believe you yeah in the
0: 20 I believe, I, that makes a lot of
1: sense to me. right um but it wasn't like a when she got pregnant it was terrifying the first thing i thought was there's so much going on in our lives we can't um it was a turbulent month of like you know I wanted I basically after the initial shock wore off after 24 hours I was like yeah we're gonna have a baby so your mind
0: shifted pretty quickly yeah. on
1: okay but
0: it was I mean how the, do we
1: make this happen yeah but I mean in the first 24 hours I was like oh my god we can't do this I can't I'm do sure. this I'm not ready for this and then she was like well it's it's happening regardless um and then over the next three weeks it was like um, we're going to do this. I can't, I can't wait for this to happen. Like you're going to move in with me. And she was like, well, but that's not set in stone yet. You know, like, and I just, I just wanted to, I wanted to just not just prove to everybody that I wasn't just, it wasn't just a typical situation of like a guy needing to step up. Cause it really, really upset me when I would talk to people about where things were going and they'd be like, so, all right. So we, three weeks later we had an argument of like, I wanted her to move in, and she was waiting for me to really commit to. Re- and I was like, "What does that? What does that mean? What right. are you going to do?" What have I not you know? you. Yeah. And she was like, "You just you don't get it, and I'm not going to wait for you to come around and get it. And I, I, I'm going to have this baby. And I'm sorry. I'll I'll see you later. Like literally, I'll see you later. Oh shit. And it was that moment." that I was like, I just was sick because I was like, this is, I don't know what I'm what I'm not getting, I don't know what I'm doing wrong, I'm trying to do the best I know how. I don't know how, I don't know anything, that's right. a thing, right? Is that the older you get, the more life experiences you have that change your perspective on your parents because they didn't know how either. No. And I didn't know how.
0: That's the big damn secret, right? It is. Every adult is just trying to figure it out too.
1: I'm pretending, you know? And, um, the next day I went to work and I was, I was sick. People were asking me if I was okay. I was barely talking. I wasn't really eating. And I went to the car and I called my mom and I had this like incredibly heavy conversation with my mom. And um, and uh, she basically thought about it and called me back when I got off work and she said, Sean, oh my God, I just ran through this scenario about a thousand times in my head. Um, you haven't asked her to marry you yet. I said, really? Like, is that it? Is it that simple? She said, yeah. I mean, I'm a girl, and I think if this happened with you and me, I'd want you to marry me. I'd want to marry you. I said, yeah, mom, but you're my mom. She yeah. said, no, it's not like that, though, sweetie. She wants you to show her that you are committed to her 100%, and would you marry her? And I said, yeah. Yeah, yeah of course. I said, I was going to anyways. That was my plan. She said, well, then, do you need to do that? and i just said okay and i like, <laughs> went home and i i was living with my friend david in this we called it we called it the um, chateau noir because it was a it was a place on ponds at the ford factory lofts it was black floors all my furniture was black had like 25 foot ceilings i mean this place was a cave dude evil Sean's the ultimate. Bad. it was it was evil Sean's chateau noir and every time all my old hardcore friends would come over for haircuts they'd call it evil cuts Oh, that's so great. And um, I sat in the cave in the silence and in the dark, like no joke, contemplating the, the gravity of this life change. And it was a different shift than what had happened three weeks before. This was like, this isn't just me accepting it. This is me acting on it. And finally, I literally I said out loud, I was like, fuck it. And I got up and I went to the murder Kroger next door and I bought... <laughs> whatever flowers they had
0: (laughs) the finest cheap ass roses you got (laughs) it's probably weeds from the parking lot dude you know like
1: so i bought the flowers and i bought a big neon piece of poster board and i wrote on it um uh, melody uh, i'm sorry but will you marry me dot 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 please
0: because
1: i knew she was pissed and i drove up to her work which was up in Gwinnett and I just stood outside the door. Chatted with
0: nobody at the chatted, bar dude, whatsoever. <laughs> nobody, nothing.
1: No, this was not me waiting for anyone to change my mind. Yeah. And I just went up to the window of her store and I had the sign with the flowers in my hand and, and she just ran outside and she fu- like jumped on top of me and she just started crying immediately and people were like walking up in the parking lot like I don't know it was like a busload of people parked and they were just came up clapping Ooh, she was like I didn't even read the sign what does it say and I said <laughs> it says I want you to marry me and she was like oh my god yes
0: and oh that was my it dude god, and, that was beautiful.
1: It. and we decided at that, that moment that we were going to do this and this was no turning back a ride or die and we went and ate dinner and she said, Oh my God, like, this is just so amazing. Like, what happens now? And I was like, uh, I mean, dude, like, all of our friends are at Dragon Con right now. Let's go to Dragon Con as an engaged couple and fucking hang out. Well, that's awesome. And that's what we did. And Ooh. it was awesome. That is so great. And that just kind of set the tone, you know, for like the rest of our lives. I don't know. It was awesome. So, like, cause she's the best, she's like my best friend, she's my advisor. You know, she's, she's everything, you know, like, so, I mean, like, I, I, like I thought about it the second I went aside. when you are still setting up in here. I was like, man, it kind of sucks that I'm leaving Michael in there to like keep setting up. But I mean, really, if I don't water the flowers for (laughs) Melody, she's going to be upset with me. And I don't, I'd rather Michael be a little bit butthurt than Melody be upset with me. (laughs) And that's that's how I'll think for the rest of my life.
0: Yeah, that's a great thing. And honestly, like, give me two or three more months and I'll be over it. (laughs) Yeah, you will, yeah. I'll be be fine.
1: Right now, no, no. Not (laughs) right now. now. No, it's it's rough. But yeah, and she's awesome because, dude, you know, I mean, life is all about, I think that like, life is all about doing what you do for you, but being righteous in the moment while you're doing it. And, you know, um, a lot of people like definitely, I think her mom and dad split up because her dad didn't want to change. And her mom wasn't going to wait around for that. Mm. My mom and dad split up because my dad changed too much and it was drive my mom away and then when it did drive my mom away my dad resented it deeply so we looked at those things and we talked all that, we talked a lot in the beginning about this stuff you know because we went from being like a really hot and heavy great chemistry couple that hung out at night and sometimes on the weekends to being a married couple. I mean literally our our honeymoon dude was like the first time we were really alone together every day wow okay really yeah And so we've grown up together and we talked about this stuff. And the reason why I think that she is so important in my life and why our relationship is so great is because she supports me and I support her, you know, like she wanted to stay at home. And it didn't matter that at 23 years old, that was how old I was. At 23, I was barely out of new talents, which meant that I had just gone from making – Thirty-five dollars a haircut to making forty dollars a haircut, which I only get a I only got then a small percentage of that commission. And I moved from the Sandy Springs location to the Highlands, which meant that none of my clients followed me. Oh well. Um, I at any given time I would have two or three clients for the whole day. Jesus. And that was and then I also added her onto my insurance, which meant that it went from maybe let's say like. a a month to maybe like $800 a month and then we had to move from our apartment with David to a one bedroom that we could raise a a child in at a Gables in the Emory area so then it went from like $500 in rent to $1,000 in rent and then I had to add her onto my car and it didn't matter Like all of that stuff being said I wanted her to stay at home and raise our baby despite that it made me nervous to open the mailbox every single day and that every single day, I thought about maybe not telling her how slow I was that day, because it was more important for her to be at home, doing what was right for her.
0: How did you manage that kind of stress? I was when, a wreck
1: when, for like three years. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I remember. I mean, I I I remember crying open the mailbox one time because I was just like, I can't handle another bill. Like I I fucking made no money this week. I can't handle opening another bill, but I don't want to tell my wife because it's not fair for her who is staying at home doing the more important job to raise our daughter it's not fair to project that on her when I should just deal with it
0: so how did, how did you deal with it how do you how do you how do you not bring that in and run? Uh,
1: I just honestly I wasn't bottling it up it was just like I, I just became okay with having the occasional cry about it and I would say probably once every six months I would just tell her like how heavy the weight was that it was just really heavy and I just want her to know I didn't want her to start working again but the weight was really heavy. And eventually she did start working at the Abate Institute. My friend Nikki, that was the director, got her a job. But it only worked out for about nine months. The scheduling was too difficult and paying for daycare if you're not making a ton of money is just, it's, it's, it's not worth it. No, it's not. And we wanted to have kids so that we could have kids, not that somebody else could have our kids. I get that. So, And you know what? It's just a phase, man, because it made us stronger. It made us appreciate... Um, what we do have now made us appreciate what we do make, you know, I mean, I don't care if I ever make a million dollars a year. I don't care if I ever live in like a brand new development golf and tennis home. Like it doesn't matter to me because compared to what I had eight years ago, this right now around me is a fucking palace and it's right. amazing. And I worship it and I can't wait to sit in a, in a, you know, basic plastic Adirondack chair on the back or in the baby pool that my kids are swimming in and drink a beer And it'll feel like I'm on top of the world because I remember. And I also know that my parents, when they first got married and moved down here from Framingham, Mass., they lived in a house that was my Uncle Bob, who was a realtor, found it for them. And it was in Flowery Branch when Flowery Branch was dirt roads. And the only reason they could afford it was because the previous owner had killed himself in it. And they had basically lawn furniture for furniture. From his lake house, Uncle Bob's lake house, and they slept with curtains on their bed, like like 78, 1978 polyester curtains. Right. And my mom saw the the apparition of the guy in the living room, and she thought she hallucinated it until her little sister saw it when she stayed home, uh, with oh, them because sure. she ran away from home when she was 16 and she was sleeping in the lawn chair in their living room and she saw
0: it in the middle of the night.
1: So like I think about that. And I just yeah, that
0: all like This is that's some perspective, you know. That's for damn sure.
1: So yeah, and she's awesome because I'm definitely an acquired taste, and she's acquired the taste.
0: Aren't we all? Yep, we are all. Uh, so when did when did you start to start putting music back in your life with you know playing while you know succeeding and and holding down you know and doing well at Aveda or at, at, uh, yeah, at Michael. Michael? like when did that what was that process or you know, thought process like um
1: so um i don't know i i having a family it becomes the scarlet letter for musicians you know the d the dreaded d word and um even if they even if you're accomplished and if they want you to be in the band they're not going to ask you So really, I went from playing in two bands at a time, always, to playing in no bands. And um, when Astrid was still just a baby, our first, um, I wasn't in a band, and a band that I was friends with, this guy Blake, who I'd played in bands with since I was in high school, he he had a band that um, the drummer was always doing stuff, and he wanted me to fill in. So then Melody was super gracious in letting me like go out at nighttime while everyone else was in the house catching up sleep to have the occasional rehearsal with them and play the occasional show because she knew that that was kind of, you know, a part of me. Uh, But he wouldn't ask me to join because I wasn't vegan straight edge he was still like that oh my god and then another band from atlanta foundation they would they you know they were a straight edge band and they'd have me fill in for them whenever their drummer was gone but again i wasn't straight edge and i was also a dad so they weren't gonna ask me to
0: join those are two big strikes
1: yes um and um my my best friend scott he i met him through blake the guy from the other the you know from my teenage years and that i was jamming with occasionally uh, he was like there's this guy Scott he's in a lot of the same bands that we're into um, like point of reference um, bands tragedy and from ashes rise and his hero is gone were huge influences because they were more metallic but they were still punk and they fucking hated everything I mean you had to write them letters to book them because they did not use computers <laughs> That is so punk.
0: Right, that is so hardcore. I respect <laughs> that,
1: dude. In an age where people think I'm archaic because I still burn CDs, I really
0: respect that. Right. Um, they would only was, answer their letters back by like cutting things out of magazines and put them back. They wouldn't actually write. Right, like, and like, they send them with Ravens. That's right. Um,
1: so he said, "Yeah, this guy Scott, he's into the same stuff. We should jam with him." So then Scott uh, Blake never came through with that, but Scott and I did, and I'm talking. And we found that he was, he was more into punk, but he liked some metal. And I said, well, you know, um, I've been in a band in a long time, but it'd be fun to jam. And we jammed, and we found one or two other guys. And it kind of was much more primitive, almost like dirty, like rock and roll style black metal, like first wave black metal, like old like old mayhem, old Celtic Frost, you know, much more almost like you could hear some ACDC in it, but at the same time, it's still as nasty and hateful. And it was fun, and, um, but that ended up fizzling out, because one of the other members just decided he was not interested in it. But Scott and I had great chemistry, and he was also very curious. Um, again, he'd only been a punk rocker for years, but he liked you know, Metallica, he liked Slayer. So then I gave him a bunch of CDs that I was interested in you know, a bunch of bands that I felt were important and that had been a huge influence on me. And these bands also had the spiritual aspect in them. So I said, I know you're atheist. And I, I thought I was too, but here's the thing. These are more, these bands are much more almost like spiritually anarchistic in a way. It's, like, it's about like walking in the shadow of the godly path because you know that that will make you the king of your own domain and that you can manipulate the world around you it doesn't mean you have to go around being a dick to people. And it doesn't mean you literally are going to walk around sacrificing ghosts. But, like, you know, reading these more esoteric occult texts and the, what these bands sing about from their own experiences, you can kind of, I don't know, take control of your life in a completely different way. And it makes you feel a little bit more in control than if you just maybe you're like an atheist that just kind of wanders through life thinking that nothing has any real special purpose. I, I, I kind of found that I was bored with that. And as an atheist, I had to kind of condition myself to be, like, much more interested in this idea of more of a romantic, abstract, you know, intangible concept of, like, maybe some of the things that the Babylonians and the Sumerians talked about could have been real. Maybe before history was recorded a recorded thing that was influenced by the church, maybe there were ancient gods like Tiamat. And I mean, that stuff's completely romantic, and it's almost mythology, but it's, it's fun to just kind of, I don't know, entertain the idea. Because I think that the I think that you know,
0: and you needed that spiritual aspect to to get that kind of because it sounds very much like existentialism. Oh, the, you know, very much what so. You're, which you know you don't. It has some sort of. A, I felt you can get there without needing the a religion. Yeah. To do it, but yeah. But also, I can see the appeal this, of like. It's of, of that as well. As it's exciting.
1: And, I mean, yeah. it's the reason why you know. It's the reason why you know, a lot of girls nowadays have kind of taken an interest in the occult and, and in, like, you know, the history of witchcraft and stuff, like, you know, because it's, it's, you know, yeah, you can be atheist, but at the same time, it's exciting to be, you know, into astrology and tarot and reading crystals and stuff because I think that, like, everything that's technology and science and, and mathematics uh, influenced in our modern world it, it almost kind of takes away the human element of our experience. And it's the human element of, of our changing, experience yeah. is intangible, and it is romantic, and it is rooted in arts and things that you can't quite describe why this song or why this book has an influence on you, but it, it, it evokes something in you. Yeah. So I, I shared a lot of my experiences with Scott, and he was interested. So I gave him some books, gave him some records, and we started jamming. And we started a band that had um, this guy Max in it that was a friend of his girlfriend's roommates, and then his girlfriend's roommate David kind of jammed on bass, and it was kind of like a little bit Swedish death metal inspired. Um, Entombed was a big inspiration, I, honestly. For that, Bastard Priest was a huge inspiration. And this is a band from Sweden that never really was a huge thing, but it was like Bastard Priest old entombed and um what's i was the, a, what's the
0: old and what wasn't it old word?
1: entombed like uh, oh old, tomb like a tomb old, uh, entombed uh, i got you okay so entombed is a big swedish death metal band but their older material was much more like oh, okay sorry i mean just trudging Thank through you. the graveyards it was it was dark <laughs> it was great um but it, we were inspired by that and it was great and it was fun and then i went to rehearsal one time and said dudes um we're pregnant again and they all just were like
0: God Fuck, damn it!
1: Because <laughs> drummers are hard to find. Anyone can play guitar. Yeah. So, I said, I, I don't, I don't know if this has to be the end, but I mean, it's definitely going to be on on hold for a while. And during that time, David, the roommate, he had started a project called Haunting, and he wanted Scott to sing for it because he wanted Scott's more hardcore. Influenced vocals Is that the
0: guy Who sings on Cloak Yes Oh my god Yeah You going to talk about yeah, hard the vocals, vocals Yeah
1: <laughs> Right they're, they're for real Good so, great <laughs> <laughs> So he wanted Scott to sing And so Scott Joined Haunting And ha- Haunting Became a band And it was really cool Because it was The best new band In Atlanta And it was Scott playing guitar And singing And then that That guy that had Played bass And our other band Playing drums and we were not doing anything with our unnamed project. And, um, we were, you know, Astrid was four and we had just had Elsa and she was a difficult baby. So it really was a difficult time in, in life to do other things like music. Colicky
0: or just, Colicky, sleep,
1: or? you know, didn't want to sleep. You know, she was just, the first one was easy. The second one wasn't. That's why we have one. Yep. That's the law of the universe. If you had one or if you had two, you would know. I believe you. Yep. Um, so, um, eventually he and I started talking again about how, you know, we were so sick of having to listen to, you know, European bands play the kind of metal or hard rock music that we liked. Um, and, in that time there just weren't any local bands or even really American bands that we liked. And, we worshipped this band called In Solitude. They're still one of my favorite bands of all time. And In Solitude is just, to me, they're one of the best things to ever come out of metal music. And, um, you know, I've always worshipped King Diamond and Merciful Fate. That was like the original kind of like evil satanic metal, but it was back in the early 80s. Um, and... um Dust Section was a big influence, Watain. But then at the same time, you know, I my dad's a rock and roller from the 70s, so I also love Zeppelin, Sabbath, ACDC, you know, countless other things that are more obscure. Deep Purple was a huge dude. I'd gotten big time into Deep Purple. Like, I really discovered my love for them while we weren't doing a band. Oh, right, and I was so. just listening to how amazing, but at the same time, Dark Deep Purple was and how driving it was. And I kind of liked that idea of capturing that in a way that In Solitude kind of did with more darker, gothier, almost black metal soundscapes, but with rock drums and cleanish vocals and more of a song structure like verse, chorus, mm. verse, bridge, chorus. You know, I liked that. It was yeah. memorable music. So he and I were like, man, all the, all the local shit sucks. Um, I wish we could do a band. And he said, I know, but haunting's too serious. And I said, well, you know, it would be awesome. We should talk David into playing second guitar so I can drum. And he said, oh, I don't know if he'll ever go for that, dude. I said, isn't he a better guitar player? He said, well, yeah. I said, so, well, I'm going to talk yeah. to him. And I just texted him one day. I said, David, you should switch to guitar. I'm dying to drum in a band. And he said, uh, yeah, I can do that. Yeah. <laughs> and then that was it. So I joined Haunting. The band that formed out of the other band. Okay. Melody was supportive of it. She said, you know what? You need this because she knew that, you know, to not nurture that would be having me push away.
0: Yeah. And that's, we guys have seen what happens when that happens. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, her dad still has conversations about that shit with me, you know, like, so, I mean, she was like, do it. And um, I actually didn't have a drum set. I had sold my John Bonham, like my Ludwig John Bonham Zeb set when Astrid was like two. So I didn't have a drum set for like a couple of years, which was really weird. I bet. So all I did was noodle on the guitar from time to time. And um, I bought a drum set and I started jamming with haunting and it was amazing. We had great chemistry. But David, the guy that switched to guitar, was neurotic and was very obsessive and didn't like the old material only wanted to move forward and i said dude we sound phenomenal i already know all five of the original songs let's play a show let's get momentum right he didn't want to he wanted to start writing material we spent three months trying to write one song and it was just brutal i mean it was like head beating against the wall brutal
0: uh i want to talk and i know we're running out of time a little bit but i do want to talk about the songwriting process so is this a good time for yeah, you to I, talk a little bit about that yeah, I'll and then talk of segue about that? Talk I'll, about when it goes poorly and when it goes right and what's the difference. Well, when it goes poorly, haunting breaks up. <laughs> okay.
1: <laughs> so I quit haunting and I told Scott, let's let's start our other band back. And so because I just didn't want to deal with it. It was so frustrating. And it didn't matter that we burned the bridge. I was like, what well, you have to do is We have to do what we do well
0: together. And it ended poorly it did end like badly. Yeah,
1: we hurt his feelings. Yeah. That's
0: okay. Yeah.
1: Whatever. Really, you know? Um, and so we started, we called Max, the guy had played guitar before, who was now whopping 21 instead of 19. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Kid. And, um, we jammed and, uh, we had the mindset to do, let's, let's, let's do that vibe, but we really need to slow it down, hone it in and let's play almost rock and roll style metal music. And we wrote our first song, which is actually on the record. Our first song that we wrote was called "In Darkness, The Path. Okay. And it was one of the first singles we ever released. And then we wrote our second song, which was a new version of an old song, which was called um, The Hunger, which is the music video. I like that song a lot. um, And we kind of started hitting the, you know, finding it, you know. And then we needed a bass player because we were writing these songs without a bass player. So then... Max says, "My friend Matt, who used to be in Living Decay, which was the band that the roommate from Haunting was in, <laughs> he so he comes in, and you know he wasn't the most kind of charismatic guy, wasn't the most friendly, but he was a decent fit. So then he comes in, and we just start writing material, right? And I mean, we just we, we were hitting it, and we if we if we were writing a song and it took more than three or four weeks to write, we'd just scrap it.
0: So how do you write a song? Like how do you? So
1: how do you start? I'm a guitar player too, and." So I have a good sense of rhythmically where things should go as a guitar player and a drummer. Scott comes up with a lot of the riffs. Most of them. So like in Darkness the Path, we were trying to write it, it wasn't working. And then I had uh, riffs ideas. So I played some riff ideas and then Scott marinated on those and then said, well, I'm going to change them around like this. And he rearranged them, added some of his own riffs, and then I arranged them on drums and created the rhythmic feel, and then there you go. And to this day, like my phone is filled with these demos that he and I have where he'll write a riff, and then now that he's learned how to work GarageBand, it's changed our life. So he'll put some tentative drums with it, and then I'll say, well, I like that, but maybe we could put this here, that here, that there, and then I have this riff idea of something that can maybe go here.
0: When do the lyrics come in? Or, or is that one on? Simul- okay, so the music's done first. Yeah. And then are you guys writing the lyrics together? Or is that. I wrote a couple the of the lyrics or? on
1: um, on uh, To Venomous Steps, the album that we've released, but he writes all, pretty much all lyrics. Um,
0: and, and, uh, is that this but it's an interesting beat.
1: process because it's all about the magic that happens when you write a good song.
0: Yeah.
1: Because we write songs. I mean, we So. We wrote the first record pretty I mean, I say it quickly, but it took a while, like we wrote between when we started jamming back again and when we played our first show was about a six month window.: Were
0: you guys getting together once a week or twice a week or once a week?
1: Or? yeah, once a week,
0: but as soon as we had
1: uh, enough material to play a show, we recorded two songs um. As a demo in our basement, using basically this kind of set, you know as an SM58 setup, into an into a interface, record demos, made a Bandcamp, put the two songs on Bandcamp, and then promoted it all over the internet. And then at the same time, we booked our first show to happen at the Earl.
0: So what does that mean? Booked uh, like uh, um, was a promoted s- all over the internet. Like, so we like made where, so, how?
1: so I I painted our first show flyer. And it was exactly the kind of aesthetic we wanted to. We created the image we wanted people to have of us immediately, right? There's the whole concept of like classical interpretation of magic again. You know, like we create the way we want people to feel by inserting certain soundscapes in our music. We, you know, crafted a very classic look, like almost like a Danzig first album look by taking some promo photos outside. We put them on our Facebook and our Bandcamp page. We created our own flyers, which to this day we make our own flyers. Um, you know, and then we booked the show and we rehearsed the set. I mean, three times a night, this 45 minute set, just blazing through it. Just right? get it tight, to tight, get it tight, tight. So by the time we played our first show, we were really rehearsed. All the songs flowed in and out. There was no awkward gaps. We had connective pieces. It was, it was honestly really great for a debut performance. And we promoted it enough to have like 150 people there. That's what, where was it? At the Earl. Cool. And um, so we did that, and then we immediately got booked on a second show, got booked on a third show, and it just started happening. And, you know, I think it was because it wasn't just music that was, you know, catchy, like ACDC kind of type catchy, you know, where Slayer is awesome, but people don't remember parts of Slayer's songs unless it's a specific slowed down part. But you know why you remember Hell's Bells? Because the chorus is Hell's Bells, and it repeats throughout the song. <laughs> it's it's a, a format. That's how we write. So people liked our songs because they could remember them. But then we looked at how all the other guys locally were just getting off their shifts at Jack's Pizza and playing on stage, wearing shorts and T-shirts and backwards caps. Just wasn't a thing. There right. was nothing. Wasn't the whole package aesthetically pleasing or a package about it? And we all. I, the first thing I said was, when we play live, no one wears a shirt with a logo on it. For real, we play all black, clean. Like we have a, a uniform, yeah. right? We're burning incense on stage because incense in a traditional ceremony is part of what interrupts the senses and tries to and helps to transform your your thought process into being in the right place to accept whatever the ceremonial outcome is. So it's almost like a ritual, right? We burn candles. We set up a candle kind of like an altar, if you will. You know, um, I painted a backdrop. I, it's in our practice space. It was a huge, like six by six backdrop that had, almost like a classic kind of filigree vector border because I wanted people to look at us almost like more gothic than extreme. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was a, it was an experience. That's cool. And people wanted that. So they kept coming back to shows. And before you know it, we were getting booked on tons of local shows. And a guy that runs a local record label heard our demo on Bandcamp and told Scott, if you guys record it for real record it, I'll release it on vinyl. So we paid out of our money that we were making from the shows to record it a good recording of those two demo songs released it on a label called Boris records out of Atlanta. And the guy, Sam that released it, like I'm totally in debt to him. He and his friend that works at cartoon network promoted it cause they paid for it. They paid their own money to press 300 copies of it. That's
0: amazing. And
1: right. they wanted to do well. So they promoted it and it could have done nothing or it could have done something. And that's what he was telling us. I mean, we're a small label. It could do nothing, but it didn't. They right. got, they got, you know reviewed in decibel magazine it got reviewed in metal hammer I mean, these are fucking huge magazines dude you know great review in decibel great review in metal hammer it got streamed on you and know did they have
0: any effects <clears throat> on like what did they do to increase the odds that it would actually get reviewed or do you nothing it was, they just, it really they was just sent just, it out l- yeah. it was just good just
1: good and luck yeah, was, yeah. they just sent it out and it, either it goes in the trash or it goes into someone's hands gotcha and that's where luck and talent are almost kind of like, don't just cancel each other out, you know? Because luck, you can be mediocre and get lucky. Like Linkin Park, that band sucks. <laughs> but they were lucky. Someone went to see them. That's it, you know? Um, there have been bands that have been phenomenal bands that took forever to get discovered, you know? So we were kind of kind of lucky, but also talented. We had the right thing. Oh, yeah.
0: Lucky is not a, yeah. it's never been a, for me, a, um, like a negative or like a, it's, it's not, there's no, there's no slight in saying luck is involved in things for me. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, so yeah. And then, um, that happened. Seven inch was doing well. We we're playing some shows becoming trendier locally, you know, creative loafing. wrote this cool article about us. People are coming to our shows. Um, so then we went to Maryland death fest, which is a big metal festival. Uh, that happens in Baltimore every year. And Season of Mist was there because we'd gotten an offer. We'd gotten a record deal offer from a Sony imprint um, out, out of LA. And they wanted to do a three-album deal. And it was cool, definitely exciting. There were some big bands that they released, but it was a shitty deal. You know, it was like bad numbers, three-album minimum, you know. So basically, if that first album did not do well, we were screwed into making two more records to pay off the first record. And then the, the two other records, we'd be paying off with whatever else we did. Could just be
0: cumulative. Do you have, did you have an attorney look at it or did you just? Yeah, do it on Scott's your face? friend is an attorney.
1: But you know, it's like if you're a smart enough guy, you can read through a contract and get the gist of it. Sure. And Scott's friend was going through law school at the time. So we had him read through it too. Uh, and it was like the one deal that we had on the table. But it was like, dude, Season of Mist is a bigger label they're they put out some huge records they're not like big like metal uh metal blade and century media and nuclear blast are like the biggest metal labels you can be on before you're like getting assigned to universal group you know but this is like just this is like a step below them so um yeah did the two offers come in concurrently no, or did you, no, no, you no. rejected one we, was we that an easy decision we or? were just telling i don't know it was I think if you, if you have a direct vision with your band, kind of like the one I decided to marry Melody, you know, like if you just go with it and you don't care. You You're know? not trying to... So we, we, dude, we threw away a recording that we did. We hurt the guy's feelings. I mean, we paid and we had him record us and it just didn't sound good. And they were like, well, we did record. And I said, it sounds like shit. I'm not putting this out. We need to record a better recording. And they're like, well, he's our friend. I, said, I don't care. You know, and same thing with the record offer. It was like, this is a record offer. It's not that good though. Yeah. Well, we can't turn it down. We don't have to turn it down, but I'm going to wait for something better to come in. I'm not taking this guy's offer just because it's an offer. So I put together a package when we went to Death Fest. It was the seven inch on the small label with two pins and a t-shirt. And I went to the season of Miss Tent. Uh, I kind of met this guy through um, social media on Instagram. This guy that works for them. He loves the band Scorpions. I love Scorpions. We'd constantly comment back and forth on each other's Scorpions posts. And I, I gave him a package. I said, here, man, I just want to give this to you. It'd be cool if you could get it to your boss's hands. And he said, dude, don't worry. I would love to give it to the boss. I can't guarantee anything, but I would love. And three weeks later, we had an, uh, a memo saying, hey, we'd like to interview you guys about maybe working out a deal. And then Scott had an interview with the president, and he said, we want to sign you guys for a one-album deal, which is awesome, because a one-album deal might seem bad, but when you're a nobody... I mean, we really were nobody. We'd only played locally. When we got that record deal, we'd only played like nine shows. Um, that's awesome. So we took it. We negotiated a few numbers. So but we why took is it. the why is it the one album thing better? Because if it doesn't go well, you're not screwed. Okay. <laughs> but it still is a big enough label where you can launch.
0: Right. Okay. And so if it does go well, then you can bet on yourselves either signing that label again or something or else. to a bigger label, exactly, which is the position kind of we're in right now.
1: So it went well. They used their name and their reach to get bigger. You know, we got a huge debut on vice.com. We got a huge debut on decibel.com. We got written up in magazines. I mean, I've got like a, a, a review from... Decibel Magazine, which is like the number one metal magazine in the country. Oh, cool. Every month they do a review section of all of the records that are out right now, but they have a feature where it's a cartoon drawn on a full page and then a page and a half review, and we made it into that. That's We amazing. fucking made it into that, dude. That is so cool. That's so cool. So then that happens, you know, and we're still playing shows, and then we get an offer to play with Mayhem, which was the band I referenced from our old, like, you know, we did that in November, so we did three days drug support opening for November, and it was our opening for Mayhem in November. It was huge, like it just feels incredible. And Melody is so happy for me and so proud of me, and she just wants me to do it because she knows that I would never compromise our family, and I would never compromise my job. I'm gonna be smart about it. So she is letting me do it, and it's incredible. And if i she's letting me do it. And my dad always wanted to do it, and her dad always wanted to do it, but they never got the chance. I'm gonna fucking do it.
0: That's amazing, and that's kind
1: of where I am right now, right? Like we did uh, a eight and nine day tour in April. Um, no, that was when we opened for Mayhem. November was our first solo thing, um, and we're just kind of doing a little bit more and more. And mm-hmm. I'm just going with it because it might not be there forever. And I'm just taking it for what it is because in my thirties, I'm comfortable. I've reached a level of monetary comfort and success, job success. My family are beautiful they love me they are supportive and these offers are on the table and I'm not about to let them sleep and if it gets in the way I'll quit
0: right and, and that's kind of what I love all of this but I love three things about it. like you know you're not going to jeopardize your family to chase you know this dream yeah you're not going to quit your day job until until it's time to quit the day job if it paid enough but I would you're old enough and been around the block enough to know when that actually is yeah you know, people think that it has to be some all or nothing thing in the arts. So, you know, like, well, fuck it. I'm not doing any, you know, I'm doing that corporate bullshit. You know, I'm going to be an artist. But there's ton- let that corporate bullshit pay for your art. Yeah. I mean, you know, dude, you're a fucking lawyer. Uh, you, you know, like the bar, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, you're
1: you're enough of a lawyer to know that you don't want to be a people lawyer. People like
0: me, Sean. Don't yeah, say that, I man. know. <laughs> right, much evil Sean dude, again. Hook, all lawyers are pirates. <laughs> you know,
1: he's <laughs> like, wait, kill the pirate. I'm not. A, I'm not a pirate. I'm a lawyer. Kill the lawyer. <laughs> exactly.
0: Um, so I just I just love your approach to it. I think it's so but awesome. I think that that comes with age, though. Yeah, because.
1: I've definitely been the fun sponge in my band. I mean, I've turned down... Dude, there's a death metal band called Morbid (laughs) Angel that are a huge death metal band. Like They're one of the forefathers of extreme modern metal music. We got an offer to do six weeks with them last year. I I turned it down. I can't do that. I can't leave my job for six weeks. And it was a shitty paying gig because that's how it is. That's what everyone else needs to know about rock music is that until you make it, you are definitely faking it.
0: Yeah, I believe Dude, you. Dude,
1: six weeks getting paid 200 bucks a day, it costs $100 a day to rent the van. Right. And then you're hoping that you can find someone whose floor you can sleep on. And at a big show, the chances of finding that are actually worse than they are at a small show. The a small show, people are talking to each other. DIY hardcore shows, you could do a full tour of hardcore venues playing to 70 people a night and find someone to sleep on. You play to 800 people that are all treating you like you're a rock star because you're playing on a big stage, the chances of you actually finding a floor to sleep on are way f- slimmer. That's fascinating. So then you're, playing, you, then you're paying for $90 a night shitty hotel rooms, which means that your $200 is basically almost gone.
0: It's gone and you haven't even had a beer.
1: Yeah, for sure. And you're lucky if actually big venues give you as a direct support drink tickets.
0: Good gravy. What, uh, what else don't we know um, about this,
1: the rock and roll life? so you don't get paid a lot for a long time. Um, you're paying definitely out of your own pocket for your own gear. Um, you know, if you play, um, I mean, there's just, it's just definitely not as much glamor. How much do you pay your roadies? (laughs) I I (laughs) wish, dude. Um, you know, we had one driver do it for free. The other driver, he owned a van, so we paid him, you know, a fee that included his van. Um, you know, you definitely... I mean, I'm a healthy, strict vegetarian. You definitely find yourself eating a lot of garbage on the road. Um, you know, I've got one guy in our band that doesn't really shower on the road, you know, or he showers less than others. Um, I'm I am super clean. I spent too long as a clean hairdresser in a clean environment and a husband and father in a clean house full of women to go more than two days without taking a shower.
0: Yeah, I'm with you on that.
1: You're with me, dude. You know, so... Um, you know, it's like that, you know, it's when you're driving in a van, um, you know, it is seven hours at a time, just in a van with five stinky dudes listening to kiss or slayer for the seventh time that day, you know, trying to read, but you can't cause it's too loud. You know, it's, it's, it's like
0: that. What, um, same question for, uh, hair salon. What's one of the least favorite parts no we, yeah, what do we don't know what do, what do we don't know that we should know oh uh um, we'd be surprised or interested to know about the daily like the daily the daily grind of that job um It is a really fun job,
1: but at the same time it is actually exhausting getting to know and talking to that many people a day standing up for that long, standing up for ten hours straight is exhausting um if someone charges you ninety bucks for a haircut, I promise you they do not get paid that. <laughs> yeah. um, because if you work in a salon that's big enough to have that kind of overhead and that kind of uh, investment backing per each employee, then there's a reason,
0: you know. Do you like it when people talk, or do you like it when people don't talk? Is it is it rude if the customer is like? I love it, dude. Dude, I just I, I can't talk right now. Talk so right I now. don't have to. We'll talk, say, talk so I don't have to. So you like it when they talk more? Oh
1: yeah. What because if I can, can, guys, do less just
0: can everybody just not talk? Yeah. Is that okay too? Does does that
1: hurt anybody's feelings? No, that's definitely okay. Um, It's definitely okay, but then they're just getting a haircut. A lot of people can just cut hair. And again, I'm an acquired taste. I think I'm a really probably bizarre person to a lot of people, even though the longer you get to know me, I'm not that strange, right? But when people look at me and they look that I'm covered in tattoos and i've got long hair and i'm wearing all kinds of shit that their husband never would wear i think that they think that oh he's interesting and then when we talk and then this woman realizes that i can relate to her experiences as a mother and then i can tell her the best way to be able to transplant hydrangeas (laughs) at the same time that i can tell her um a cool bar to get a drink if they're looking for a night out I think they like that yeah. and if I don't talk to them I'm just another guy cutting hair
0: because the
1: truth is people will come back for a really good experience but the, the percentage in the wheel of people coming back for just a really good haircut is about 25% they don't know if their haircut's perfect they know if the salon was clean they know if you're nice they know if you are friendly they know if you blow dry and style their hair well they know if their front desk treats them well you know
0: right. it's not all about the haircut
1: no and it's that way with everything, right? Yep. They're not going to rebook your band if your dickheads you show up super late that have all kinds of demands and you play a shitty set and you run over on your time and people are going to come back to see you if you talk rudely to the crowd or you look like you just got done delivering pizza at Papa John, yep. you know, no matter what you do in life, you have to do it like you give a shit. And my problem in life is that I fight every fight like it's the last fight I'm going to fight. It doesn't matter if I'm a dad telling Elsa to please not, for the love of God, do not <laughs> climb up on the back of the couch. Go around the front. Right. Or if I'm telling one of my students in class that's trying to shortcut it, I know you're trying to shortcut the left side of this haircut. But the problem is, the shortcut that you did made it look bad. You cannot do that. Right. I believe in you. And I could let you do a shortcut, but the shortcut you did sucks, and you don't suck and I'm telling you that because I want you to not suck right, so I just treat
0: everything in life like that, you know yeah I think that's I, I think just, that's great I'm a virgo to the core. <laughs> The cancer, but I don't know what that means for me. (laughs) What are you going to do? I think it's like open and sensitive. Yeah. Which I think that's probably pretty accurate. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. So I want to be respectful of your time. I have some of these perennial questions that I usually ask at the end of things. Yeah. Uh, I'm just going to ask them quickly, but your answers do not have to be quick. Yeah. Uh, Do you have a favorite bookstore? Or did you have a favorite bookstore?
1: Um, I mean, dude, I miss Borders. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I miss Borders, but no, you know I do have a fair bookstore. Um, was it half off or half price books in Decatur? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. God, that place is incredible.
0: That place is great, actually. I you I know. can't go in there. I, I take books in there all the time, but I always leave with some. God, I can't go in there. Okay, there's a fire. Uh, kids, family safe. Pets, everybody safe. Everybody safe. Plants mm-hmm. even safe. Okay. Uh, three things you can grab. What do you grab? Three things. Yes. And this in this world, you can also you can pick up your drum set with one hand oh okay you know, like that's that's a it's a theorem
1: okay thing. Uh, drum set um, okay. um the book interview with the vampire okay um and um Oh my God! Is there drum something set?
0: special about that copy of it that you have, or that I just—it's my, it my favorite book. Okay. It's
1: the best. It's my favorite book. All right, cool. I'm 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 totally a sucker for Anne Rice. Um, drum. Oh my God, drum set. You know what? Drum set. Um, Anne Rice interview with the vampire, and um, um I guess I guess maybe. I, I wouldn't say like, iPod because we'd have to play something on it, and I like the whole romantic aspect of of records. How about this?
0: <laughs>
1: An iPod that has a speaker in it, so that I could be able to listen to all the music that we enjoy. All right, because that's
0: go. that's such a part of our household. Go, when do you listen to like? When do you listen to music? Like usually are you in the car doing it? Are you at home at night? The kids are asleep. Do you uh, uh, listen to music or uh, like, when do you, when is that? <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, like being that I love it so much,
1: the only way I can discover new music or really become enveloped in music is in the car. Um, because here I, you know, like we have so many records in there in the living room and the kids definitely like they, you know, a- Astrid will come and tell me when to flip the record and stuff like, um, but Yeah. In the cars, when I can really process it, but I do love like I'll put a record on the second you leave, you know.
0: Gotcha. I listen to music all the time. What uh? What do you think other people would say your superpower is? Um, being able to make
1: fun of you to your face, but still have you laugh about it. <laughs> yeah, I'm <outstanding. laughs>
0: What do you think your superpower? What, would you agree with that, or what do you? What do you think your superpower is? Um, what do you think of this being able to trudge through life
1: uh, without doubting myself which um, I think allows me to like accomplish whatever I set myself whatever I set my mind on
0: gotcha yeah um, do you have a favorite failure something that you've learned from that has helped you
1: uh, yeah being a father
0: That's constant failure, isn't it?
1: Yeah, Yeah. it really is. I think it's the single most uh, devastating and rewarding experience of my entire life. It's changed my relationship with my dad. It's changed my relationship with my mom. I mean, I I have a different relationship with Melody. Like Again, being a dad is you fuck something up every single day, (laughs) and you beat yourself up over it, relentlessly if you're a good person I think that there are people in this world that are you know checked out that maybe don't think about it that much but that's the difference right Yeah. but I think that yeah um, I just always aspire to be a better person in the world and I think that being a father is maybe the key to initiating that process of transformation
0: has it made you uh, more closer to your dad yes more forgiving certainly looking back on things that much happened. more much more uh, my favorite thing is when I tell myself, uh, "All right, I'm not going to do X," and then 30 seconds later, <laughs> just do it anyways. <laughs> I totally do X, and I'm like, "Sorry, son."
1: <laughs> of course you do. Fucking you up. <laughs> Of course you do because your biological fault is that you're a guy, and we love doing stupid shit that we know we're not supposed to. like it's true,
0: you know. Um, uh, do you have a favorite investment? Something you've invested in yourself? This could be a class. It could be. Um, uh, just a it could be even just a financial investment you've made or um honestly dude yeah here at school yeah seems like mean, a pretty great decision yeah you know
1: my parents helped out with a portion of it and then i took had to take out loans for a portion of it and i i you know would not be able to have the life that i have any of it really unless i would have done it at such a young age I mean, I started working at Van Michael when I was 19. And that means that by the time I was 22, I was actually on the floor, you know, cutting hair and making paychecks. They weren't great, but, you know, I've had benefits. I've had a 401k since I was 20, you know, and now 12 years into it, like I'm finally actually starting to make good money. And um, I feel really fortunate. And I can't believe that hair, you know, you you definitely like talking to so many clients that do so many other things like doctors lawyers people that went through incredibly uh expensive and extensive continuing education after high school is interesting when you kind of have that one that reaches their point of candidness every now and then where they're like man how much did you say hair school was and it was only a year (laughs) and you were already making money so you paid off your loans that's Oh, so, oh, so you well, make what you do, and you don't have any student loans. That's wow! That's
0: that's, that's crazy. That must be nice. That seems like a good. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good gig. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, in the last five years, uh, have you had any new beliefs or behaviors or habits that have kind of positively changed your life? And I think the answer is yes, yes, <laughs> yes. And we may have already covered the ball.
1: Yeah, I mean, I definitely think that, like, um, acknowledging that I don't know everything. Um, acknowledging that I'm not perfect, acknowledging that like, you know, other people can teach me things, you know, I mean, again, like, I just, I don't know, man, being, being in a family, it's just, again, it teaches you, kids teach you shit every day and your wife teaches you shit every day. You know, my wife is. She's been the best thing that's ever happened to me because, you know, you might not know that you sound like a dick when you say these kinds of things to people, until she's like, "I know you don't want to be like that, but you really need to think about how you address people." And I'm like, "What?"
0: I I piggy save my asked so many times especially on emails yeah that i'll send she'll be like you, t- you know there's a nicer way to say <laughs>
1: <that."> <laughs> yeah
0: and you're like but what is it <laughs> uh i think that's a good place to end where can people find you online if they want to follow oh, we didn't even talk about the band's name Let's hear oh yeah you know the- so my band's called cloak and how did y'all come up with the name it's a badass name
1: um we were looking for a name and um the band the other scott and max were throwing around a lot of very kind of conventional metal ideas um, And they wanted to have something That you know had a genre invoking Feeling to it but I didn't I wanted everything about this band To make us stand out From being associated with just black metal You know black metal names are like You know Dark Dark Throne You know uh, Emperor You know right. um, Carpathian Forest <laughs> You know Destroyer 666 you know, it's
0: almost like the the Shakespeare insult generator. You can oh, do like the yeah, death dude. metal band gen- name generator.
1: Dude, honestly, I think one of the best black metal names I've ever heard is Funeral Mist. Oh, Funeral Mist. You know that's great, and I didn't want that. So there was actually being that I'm you know I grew up you know the son of my mom who's a seamstress into hair. I there was a designer from a short period of time based out of New York City, uh, a guy named. Um, Alexander, what is it, Proklov or something like that? He had a label called Cloak. And it was really cool. And it was definitely much more gothic inspired. It was kind of, you know, a combination between almost like almost like early twentieth century militaristic attire, but like and modern goth. It was really clean and really sharp and the logo was an old English, almost like old Germanic font. And then when I saw who the guy that was, it did it. He was this regular dude that came out wearing black vans, black jeans, and a Danzig shirt. <laughs> Every different runway show he had, he had on a different Danzig shirt. And I worship Danzig.
0: That's funny. That's the whole, that was the dream of uh, the yeah. uh, hairdresser, like thing for the yeah. salon. Yeah. It was a
1: rock and roller that was a fa- hairdresser or a fashion designer. And I just, I liked that name because I thought, what a great, ominous, foreboding,
0: but indiscriminate name. Yeah, it's a good name. You can add you can add what you want to it. The
1: only thing that the sucks audience. about it is making it look good on a shirt with a design. Because it's a short name and designs are big. Mm. Yeah. So, But we've worked it out. But yeah, so <laughs> I threw that name out there and they were not sure about it. And I just said, you know what? It's great because it's not a metal name. It could be anything. It could be an electronic pro- project. It could be, you know, a kind of stage name for a singer. It could be anything.
0: Yeah. So where can people find Cloak online if they want to sign up and keep a track of what you guys got going on?
1: Um, Cloak has an Instagram. Um, well, I think, all right, the best way to be to find us would be cl- uh, facebook.com uh, slash
0: Cloak Official. Cool. And we'll link to this in the show notes. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. You don't have to get it exactly right. Yeah,
1: so a Facebook page. There's an Instagram page. Uh, Season and Mist has it. You know, and honestly, like, so the album that we released, our debut album, we released it in November. It was called To Venomous Depths. Great name. Yeah. Uh, And it's, again, like, To Venomous Depths is kind of a metaphor for, you know, the path of ascension through descension, if that makes any sense. Like, to become a more enlightened and accomplished and stronger individual, you almost kind of have to take a step back through who you think you are and who the world has conditioned you to be.
0: And very much like the novel fight club. Absolutely. The theme
1: of that, yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I mean a lot of, you know, authors that are prolific thematically reference that, that process because it, it's, it's a common thread, mm-hmm. you know, like you have to kill who you think you are and who the world trained you to be without you really even knowing why you were trained to be that way to become who you're, need to be and who you need to be is who you want to be. Right. So um that album came out in November. It's been doing well. I mean, honestly, we're already bored with it because the songs were already written. You know, the songs were we, we finished recording the album um in like April, March of last year. The album didn't come out until November. So, but we finished recording or we finished writing the songs probably even two or three months before we yeah you've been were,
0: living with this these things oh for God. a while now and
1: you know when we play that big festival in las vegas in august psycho fest it's like the biggest fest of the year in metal music you know that'll be the millionth time we played that set list i mean jesus christ but that's how it goes i mean the stones make a good living off of playing songs the songs from 1965 keep it fresh.
0: you gotta keep it's new for them but we've already written
1: like half you know, i mean almost two-thirds of the new record
0: oh that's cool yeah and are you touring this summer at all
1: Uh, Not this summer. We replaced our bass player due to some differences. Okay. And we got this new guy, Billy. He's awesome. He's playing his debut show with us on July 28th at the Drunken Unicorn on Ponce. Oh, cool. Which is going to be awesome. It's a Saturday night. It's finally an all-ages show because I want to start playing more all-ages stuff. Again, it's like the music being more general rock structure and the name being less abrasive and the imagery being dark but not, you know, you can't connect to it. I want to play all ages because I want people besides just, you know, Earl, the Earl trotting metalheads that already know who we are to like us. So I want all ages and all different types of people to come in. They might not all like us, but they might not really be exposed to us otherwise. So we're doing that. We're playing in Vegas in uh, August. And then we weren't going to do anything else until September. We were maybe going to play a festival. Or uh, we are going to play a festival, uh, and then we're going to do a couple dates up and down. It's called Shadow Woods. It's up in Baltimore. But then we just got a tentative offer for a um, three-week tour in support of a huge metal band. Um, I, I, I mean, it doesn't really matter that nobody probably knows who they are, but I can't really say anything. I understand. <laughs> but um, the offer is pending, okay. and if it happens, we'd basically be gone all of September which is cool cuz that was an offer that came in after we got an offer to maybe tour in support of two other huge bands from Europe that are doing like House of Blues and Tabernacle venues from Baltimore up to New England, Canada, Midwest, Canada, and down the West Coast. Oh wow. And that would be in October. So again, that it's it, honestly it's about to start getting real and I'm about to have to start kind of exhausting my time off with work. Um, doing that as much as I can, as much as work will permit me, as much as my amazing support of family will permit me. And you know, if the gigs start paying enough where I can make a lucrative and supplementary income on it, maybe I would quit. If work won't tolerate anymore and the band needs to keep moving forward and I would either train a replacement for tour or I'd have to leave. But you know what? That's life, man. It's, Who knows where it'll go. I'm just riding out the wave as best as I can right now because it's awesome right now.
0: Amen, brother. Yeah. Thanks for your time, Sean. Thank you, man. Thank you for listening to the Origin Story Podcast. The show is produced by Pinecone Turkey. To learn more about Pinecone Turkey, visit pineconeturkey.com, where you can sign up for The Flock email, a a twice-a-month newsletter that delivers a short film, poetry, a short story, and visual art right to your inbox.